inside. Welcome everyone to October 13th, 1990 in the Legacy Series. We are coming up to the doorstep of the Survivor Series. It's another Saturday night's main event. And as far as I see it right now, two things are staying consistent for my fandom. Dusty Rhodes is having the best feud in the WWF. And the Intercontinental title is the driving force that I tune in for wrestling product. Aside from that, I noticed a thing as I was walking to my computer this morning. It feels like the Ultimate Warrior has won. He beat Hulk Hogan. Hulk Hogan has won. He beat all his great opponents. Vince McMahon has won. He beat Jesse Ventura. And we're all suffering, including them, from having nothing left to do. 1990, as far as the main event scene, could not come and go faster for me. We're going to get into a lot of things right now. We'll go ahead and do it. Miz fan has got so much good bonus stuff, some great Bobby Heenan bonus footage to come. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, grab your shovels because the unearthing continues. I am the mystic, and I am joined by my friend and co-host by God, my learned colleague, Mr. Miz fan. The brain. Greetings, Miz fan fans. We are deep into the year of 1990, and it is going to be over soon. And I don't think either myself or my co-host is going to be very sad about that. This year is not the worst year that we will cover, I think. But uh, it is the definition of a mixed bag. As my uh, dear friend said, there will be great stuff to cover on this show there will be Intercontinental titles, there will be Big Boss Men, there will be Bobby the Brains, there will be uh, many other great things, Dusty Rhodes, Randy Savage, Ted DiBiase, all this stuff. And yet, when you look to the top, when you look to the so-called biggest stars in the promotion, you have the Warrior, you have Hogan, and my God, they both seem like they're adrift. They're just going through the motions right now. That's what it seems to me. That's what it seems to my co-host. It may seem that way to you as well. So we are suffering on top, even as we continue to see good things throughout the rest of the promotion. But man, when things are not going well on top, I think you really start to feel that as you watch along. Yeah, it's the first time that I've really watched the WWF um, straight through, and I'm starting to feel like the great surprise of the new generation of the Bret Hart's, the Mr. Perfect style taking over. I don't really know if it's a surprise because right now, as I said, there are certain guys who are killing it every week. And the word adrift is just perfect because Warrior and Hogan are doing nothing. And there's a little noise like with Warrior like stomps, I guess that makes sound. You know, when Hogan speaks, I guess that makes sound. But there's such a hollowness and not going anywhere and taken for grantedness. And if there's any justice in the world, and sometimes there is, I think these guys, I think their days are actually numbered. So here we are. Yes, let not the story fool you that, oh, it was just the steroids, and otherwise everything would have continued yeah. just as it was, because we aren't there yet, but things have changed already. Um, we've talked about it before many times. Perhaps the uh, creativity has waned. Perhaps Hulk Hogan is just not interested. Perhaps Open Warrior is just not suited. All of these things are possible. Um, but uh, whatever the reason, the result is very clear this is so far away from from the uh the the mid 80s that period 
85, 86, 87, even 88, when uh, everything was punching upward, when everything was was blooming into this new mega industry or uh, or reblooming into that, and now 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 we have something different. Now we have Oktoberfest. So make of that what you will as we get into it. Yeah, WWF becomes more topical. It becomes more about anything except the wrestling. This is a curse that will never go away. These are the things that make me not watch this wrestling company. And I did write down at the end of Saturday night's main event that if this was happening in real time, I might not be watching anymore. And that's the first time I've done that in this series. And I think we can blame the wrestlers, and there is definitely blame to go around. But we got, we also have to talk about this horrible, lazy, sorry booking. Because year after year after year, who are the heels we're not booking top heel talent. We're not making top heel talent. We're not sustaining top heel talent. We are so far away from early heel Macho Man or Andre the Giant or Paul Orndorff. We got Earthquake, and that's the, the kind of the feud that people have looked forward to, and that one didn't even do it that much. Didn't do it all for Miz fans. Did kind of a half-half for me. But that thing was over after SummerSlam. That thing was dead no matter how you look at it. And that's one feud. You got Rick Rude, who had a rocky feud that makes no sense for a heel to have. Uh, that made no sense. Now that's over. Where are the heels? Where are the storylines? Where is anything around the main event that, 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 that includes two people that you can care about and have to watch? Because nothing is happening except for poor matches where they just run over opponents like jobbers and there's no suspense, there's no urgency, there's no nothing. Yeah, um, you will get no argument from me on that respect. Uh, we're going to talk about a Saturday Night's main event where uh, I really like one thing and I can't really speak well of almost anything else that happens. Maybe two things. Um, we're going to have some great bonus material and there's going to be a lot of good stuff in there, but I'll tell you, none of it is going to be anywhere close to the main event. So uh, things are going rotten up on top and uh, it's sad to see, but I think... I mean, I, I, I knew it kind of would always go this way because we know the reputation of Hogan. Uh, we never doubted the reputation of Warrior. Um, it's strange to think because, like, when I first started watching this, not for this run, but for the last time I watched through this, I'm like, well, Hulk Hogan, you know, he sucks and he's going to suck the whole time. So it was a surprise when he was actually awesome. And in a way, like... I don't know, these are the years where he starts forming the reputation that he's going to really have, which he has now, which is like, oh, well, Hulk Hogan, you know, he was a big star, but he kind of sucked. Well, he's sucking, so, you know, he's just living up to it, I guess. Yeah, uh, again, I do think that those, those, those guys are not doing a good job, but you could substitute Hulk Hogan for Lex Luger, and That's I would it. not enjoy this, you know, yeah. so um, I don't know. I don't know how you enjoy these one-sided. Like we we were blown away by Hogan because neither of us were Hogan fans, but we were also were blown away by this kind of two-sided narrative of almost equal proportion. Like whoever can tell the best story, Vince McMahon or Jesse Ventura, Hulk Hogan or Bobby Heenan. Like every week you had to tune in, and the friction pushed you and pushed you and kept you and kept you, and then one person would inch away, and a lot of times it wasn't Hulk Hogan. A lot of times we ended the shows with Andre the Giant because he had just destroyed everybody around him. And again, I asked the question, like, 
I'm not even, I'm not this is not a defense of Hogan or the Warrior because right now I think they're both kind of phoning it in, but replace them with whoever you want but keep them in the same like what we're doing booking wise and I still don't have a reason to like rush to my TV. <laughs> uh yes, you're absolutely right. Uh, we we came from an era where uh, we had Andre the Giant, we had Randy Savage, Ted DiBiase, um, as the top heels, the main event heels, and now, now who are the characters that are introduced to the main event? It's, it's Sergeant Slaughter, um, coming out of nowhere with one of the worst gimmicks that I can remember seeing. We have a guy named Tugboat who wears like a little sailor suit and just no human could take this man seriously. Um, we have an earthquake who, like you said, he's already done. He's gone already. I don't know. Yeah, there's just a lot of not good stuff. You know, this is the era that takes a guy like Greg Valentine, one of the best guys that you could possibly ask for, and they, they change his look, they dye his hair, they say, well, what if you instead just acted like a dope, like this other guy? We already have one of these dopes. We need two. We don't need a Greg Valentine. We need a second honky-tonk man. This is the mentality you're dealing with from the creative team. Yes. And it's like, that's the most terrible condemnation that I could ever make if you have a company that thinks they don't need a Greg Valentine, but they need a second honky-tonk man. That is beautiful analysis. Imagine sitting in the back where they say, you know what the problem with this company? There's only one honky-tonk, man. <laughs> we could do something about it, though. You know, that's just... God. And meanwhile, meanwhile, though, meanwhile, meanwhile, as I flip through my notes, you know, Ted DiBiase and Dusty Rose are having... This is just... This is this is top-shelf stuff, this feud that they're having. We got two. We're going to visit it twice. I'm so glad for the bonus material. Uh, we're going to get a lot out of that, I think. Um, we got Mr. Perfect. We got Rick Martell. Uh, we got Lord Alfred Hayes in the in the announce booth. <laughs> so there's good things. We got Boss Man and uh, Bobby Heenan. Oh yeah. But here we are. You know, this is how long did we call Saturday Night's main event consistently, consistently, consistently? I honestly didn't think we talked about Hogan waning or this waning. I'm now trying to find material to help me get through Saturday night's main event. Ah, that's sad. We used to look forward so much to that. Yeah. So we go through seasons, folks. This is our own, not only in our own lives because they changed. We did we did WCW the Legacy Series for three plus years of our lives. Mm. Uh, I think we've been doing this one for probably around a year. We put everything together. Oh, wow. Uh, so we go through seasons, but the product goes through seasons. And we are in a dip right now, and for others, maybe not, because we're all it's all subjective. We're all wrestling fans for different reasons. If you think WWF is often funny and topical and those are the things you like, <laughs> Saturday Night's Main Event might, might hit for you. If you don't think they definitely hit on those areas and you want them to actually care about the product, I don't know if it'll hit for you or not. Yeah, it may not. I'm also imagining Oktoberfest hitting for people. Yeah. Like, at best, I feel like, well, it was kind of harmless. You know, that might yeah. be your take. But for me, I think it did a little harm to me. So we'll we'll talk about that as we get to it. Um, I will just say to our listeners and to my co-hosts, hang in there. We are on a dip, but uh, I don't think this is a long one because in 91, I know things will pick up. And we're very close to that now, relatively speaking. So we we will make it. 
And uh, in the meantime, yes, we'll call out the bad, but uh, we'll be grateful for the good as well, because you and I both know we've gone through periods where nothing was good, and uh, I don't think we're going to get that low, so that's something. Yeah, I, I, it will definitely get better. As I've said, a mid-91 to mid-92 is one. It's, it's an era that I've been waiting to get back to as much as 97. Those are probably the, the two peaks as far as past fan experience that I've been looking forward to. So we are on the heels of that. Um, I'm going to get a little more complaining out, uh, I guess, just to, for my, my own soul's sake. Uh, when you just lost Jesse Ventura, like, who's also whose idea is it? Why don't we, on top of that, take Gene Oakland out of the interview weekly and put him in random segments? <laughs> yeah, very strange that Oakland is um, relegated to that. Uh, I don't know. Who Maybe they thought he could save the Oktoberfest stuff. Um, I, I don't know. It's strange. It's no Wild Kingdom. I'll say that. I actually enjoyed Wild Kingdom, but this this is something else. Yeah, I just feel like I think as someone who enjoys the tension of the storylines, the height, the heightening of the storylines, not only were the storylines once better, but you forget Gene Arkelin made them better, even when they were better or worse. So, yeah. like. That's what guys like Jesse Ventura and Gene Oakland take the product. Even the Gene jokes all the time, so you understand what I'm saying when I say they take the product seriously. They invest and engage in it like it's actually happening, and they react in ways that make you feel like you're in a world that's populated honestly and authentic, authentically. Uh, and so Piper is a little more silly, and Vince McMahon is getting ridiculous. Like Vince McMahon is running away with the announce booth at times in ways that I would never recommend. And <laughs> it's just, there's nobody to to zero in on what's happening. Number one, and then number two, there's nothing happening. <laughs> so. Oh man, I thought I thought for the most part it was a terrible night for Roddy Piper. I thought yeah. he he showed up kind of the worst that he could be. And um, by that, I mean just did a bad job, just like from start to finish. So Yeah, they're becoming – I think WWF for me is always – if they do what they love, which has nothing to do with wrestling, but they keep it between maybe 15 to 33%, I'll say, and then they do an amazing job with the rest of it, they can have me. But when that percentage flips, <laughs> you know, I just leave them to their own devices. <laughs> oh yeah i have in one of these matches i think in the hogan tugboat mm. tag match i have a note that says yeah if i was what if like if i had been drawn in as a kid to to um you know the height of hulkamania i think i would be switching over to ninja turtles right now and that would yes. be that so and that is the fear you're not going to switch over to sting you're going to switch over to the ninja turtles absolutely that's what uh, happens you know they're they're doing it as we speak, you know, 30, 31 years ago. I remember, too, because I watched it and then the Turtles, and again, it was more like what WWF was, you know. It has its humor, of course, but it also has, you know, they take their storyline seriously. So, you know, yeah. I, in, in case you think, man, they're, they're really just complaining too much and they're exaggerating, there will be a promo on Saturday Night's Main Event where Tugboat will talk about what it was like to be in the ring with Hulk Hogan, to draw from him and the crowd, to rise to the occasion. And that's all great. But you know what that means for Tugboat? He's like, finally, I'm paraphrasing here, I was not a Tugboat. <laughs> so 
his great ecstasy is that he finally rose to the occasion and became something more than a stupid gimmick. But that's the gimmick they gave him. And that's the gimmick that he's going to have afterward. So in that statement, he's saying this is not satisfactory. This is a bad gimmick. This is not this is not what I want to be. And yeah, I'm going to keep on being it. Like, did you become more than a tugboat or are you still tugboat? And the answer is he's still tugboat. So what in the world? Like, why did they give him a gimmick that even the character in gimmick is trying to get beyond? Indeed. I don't know. Surely the idea must be this will appeal to children or something, but it didn't and it doesn't. And uh, it's just a mess because in that same promo, I think he also um, before he says that he complains People thought I was just a tugboat. Well, maybe because you're calling yourself tugboat, you yeah. moron. <laughs> like, why would... Oh, my God. Yeah, because Hogan also called him whatever else was bigger or better or different than a tugboat on a different week. So they both, in order to compliment him, call him more than what he is, but yet they make him what he is. And it makes no sense. The other thing I will say is I said one time on the show when it was going really well that I felt like a hypocrite because... I loved Saturday Night's main event, even though I could see in it everything I critique about WWF and haven't watched for 20 years. And that's that overly scripted, overly produced. But yet the characters were so amazing. The storylines are so amazing that it all worked together. Well, the characters are not as amazing and the storylines are certainly not as amazing. And the scripting and overproducing has only grown and grown and grown. And now we've got to the place where an entire show Every single wrestler from start to finish can pretty much just be hitting the same tired marks. And so whether it's the Oktoberfest references, even in the wrestling promos or Hulk Hogan and Typhoon or Hulk Hogan and Tugboat being uh, kind of upset because they just took a beating and yet they can come in the back and hit 30 references off his name. You know, that's not how someone behaves when they just got beat up by four people, they don't hit that rhythm. They have a promo in real time. So we have just completely got rid of anything that makes it feel authentic in that regard. And we have just overly produced and overly scripted so much of it and you know, driving the whole life force out of it, driving the urgency out of it. And that, my friends, is not a good thing for fans who like that kind of aspect yeah, I mean, yeah, picture, if you will, um, Hulk Hogan and Bobby Heenan while they're feuding and Andre is involved, if they have to make uh, these cute topical reference, like if they had to cram in 80,000 German jokes into their promo while they were trying to have, like, an emotional moment. It's just, it's not going to work. It's not going to happen. Uh, the pun has taken over. The pun has become more important than anything yes. in uh, the WWF. So um, I'll just say this last thing before we get into it. Uh, if John Tenta was sad that people only saw him as an earthquake or, or whatever else, then uh, how much sadder must have Fred Ottman been that people mm. only saw him as a tugboat or a shock master? Yes. I love when they say that, well, it's a, it's a gimmick for the kids and the kids don't even like it. So. <laughs> right. Why would the kids like it? Oh yeah, because if, if the kids liked it and it was a gimmick for the kids, then he'd be in the main event at WrestleMania. So. 
that's not right. true. So. Yeah. If Kid Gimmicks could get you a push, then why isn't Coco Beware in these main events, you know? Why is he just uh, doing yeah. doing a job on the rare occasion he makes television? So. Talk about really should have been in WCW in 90 as Sting's best friend. Like, that I could, <laughs> I could believe. I mean, uh, yeah, he's got that vibe for sure. He should be in the Dudes with Attitude or whatever that godforsaken group is called. <laughs> Yeah, oh, I mean he'll be Sting. there. He'll be when the Shockmaster fails. He'll be like a, a clumsy electrician or something. Yes. And he'll be right in that same area a few years later. So you yeah, know. that's what Sting and Davey. So I guess he he got close to that. <laughs> he made it to the group eventually. So so here's how he betrays Sting. He's Sting's best friend until Halloween Havoc. Then Sting wrestles Sid. And then Barry Windham comes out dressed as Sid. Instead of Barry Windham, you just have Tugboat dressed up, excuse me, as Sting, and uh, <laughs> deceives the crowd. So, you know. Oh, my God. Yep, I can see it right now. And that is for a company that made Kevin Nash a fake Sting at one point, and the announcers did not know what was going on. <laughs> so many fake Stings. All right. All right, we do have really good stuff in the bonus uh, footage. <laughs> we have to suffer through... Uh... I was going to say, like, summer through our vegetables, but this is not even good for you, so I don't know what this is. It's like eating styrofoam. But, yes, the good stuff will be in here as well. Okay, so you ready to go? All right, let's do it. It is Oktoberfest, and that is the overpowering theme of this episode for some reason. Overpowering theme is correct. Um, they're, they're getting to their dream where it's like, okay, so this is Oktoberfest with some rustling on the side. <laughs> And I don't know how I didn't know it was going to end in a food fight. Like, I am so angry at myself for not knowing that the whole thing was like, a food fight. <laughs> yeah, when you see food, that's a good bet. But I didn't expect it either. It's funny. I feel like it's not like like they did themed episodes of, of Saturday Night's main event before. But just like, I don't know. This was so much worse for some reason. It's something about the execution or maybe it's the balance, like you said. And uh, I don't know, just something about it. Something yeah. about it, yeah. And they're also going away. You can see the number of shows per year seems to be shrinking. Uh, yeah. So in this case, it's not always, life's not always fair, but I would say when they were getting all these primetime shows, they deserved it, and when they stopped getting them, they deserved it. Yeah, yeah. It actually syncs up for once. <laughs> we're going to, uh, if I told you, or if I even told myself, I told anyone, a couple of years ago, that Warrior in the height of his... Uh, his run was going to have to face demolition. Like the thought in my head would be, I might not like the warrior, but he's going to take a beating and he's going to earn that world title. He's going to earn being world champion. And that's going to be fun to watch. But we live in a time now that you don't have to take a beating when you wrestle demolition. You can actually dance around them for like 20 seconds while they stand there and don't do anything. So we're going to get into this matchup, but we this is not the demolition that we grew up with in his fan. Uh, yeah, I, I, I told you, I tried to warn everybody that demolition, they're going to be flushed down the proverbial toilet just about as soon as uh, this period hits. I don't know, they get their third member, and it's not Crush's fault, but as soon as that happens, it's like, wow, demolition, they suck now. Like, they're just yeah. jobbers, basically, and it's really sad to see one of the most popular acts of the period now just kind of thrown in the garbage and just for no good reason either. So, here we are. Yeah, if Hulk Hogan 
all of a sudden could not lift a 200 pounder. Like, you know, oh, well, he's got no strength, but he'll have to figure something out. It wouldn't be the same Hulk Hogan. And if demolition can't beat people up and they just get beat up, it's not the same demolition. So, um, I think partly Vince falls out with them, partly weirdly. They're one of the only groups, I think we talked about this, where they are a WWF group, but as soon as they get the LOD, it's like, here are face-painted people who are actually tough, and these others who are knockoff the whole time. <laughs> yeah, a real reversal of the usual um, uh, method of the WWF to kind of bury the outsiders and put over their own creations. We really get exactly the opposite here. So, like you said, I think that's problems between Vince and the members of Demolition, uh, Axe and Smash, I think it's also the fact, it is a testament, I think, to the best part of this match, which is the Road Warriors, and uh, just the fact that, uh, you know, this is one of the most popular acts, really, in wrestling history. Like, this is an act which would go to a new territory and would pop enormous gates there, like, wherever they went, and uh, they're a little past that era now, perhaps, but, man, they are very popular, walking in the door. So if there's one good thing about this match is that we do have the Road Warriors they are wrestling. They're doing good stuff. Um, I'll, I'll focus on that as the only positive, even if they did say that Demolition will have to whimper over their wieners before the match. Yeah. They are some of the worst promos in the history of wrestling to me, but I won't go there. Um, LOD, we'll see how they do, because to me, in WWF, I never felt like they were as... Um, I don't know what this word is because it's something that with the people that don't do as well in WWF, it's like they were there in fashion or form. Like you saw them and they did some of the stuff they did, but there's an aspect of who that the, who they are that was never activated. And I don't know if it'll be like that with LOD, but I've seen it a lot. Even the Steiners, I like as I miss Steiner matches that I like, uh, but the Steiners never felt like full on Steiners. Lex Luger definitely never felt like a full on Lex Luger. Uh, so I don't know. We'll see what happens with LOD. But right now they're, they're you know, dominating. So that's part of LOD. But I think there's more to activate than that. Yeah, you may be right. And uh, I don't know if we'll see what you're looking for or not. Um, I've heard that as well about the Steiners, about others. Uh, I don't know if I feel the same or not. So let's let's watch as we go and we'll talk about it as we get to these people. So All right. So see. Demolition introduces themselves for some reason there. You know, the longest reigning tag team champions in the business. They um they're gonna do a lot of bad things is all I wrote down to the to their opponents. Yeah, they, they say nothing of, of interest, unfortunately. So Yeah. L O D we've already talked about, so they say wild things. Hulk always says wild things. Um here we go, it's a six man, it's a six man oh warrior is is un, is um underneath them and comes up in the camera at some point. I forgot about that. <laughs> yes, he pops up at the end to just scream the word Blitzkrieg over and over again, which I feel like doesn't have great associations, but we clearly don't care about uh, that on this show mm -hmm. because yeah. along with every other German reference, there's like a bunch of Nazi stuff and it's just kind of thrown out for laughs. So, um, you know, your mileage may vary on that. Yeah, maybe, you know, they're not the most sophisticated company and should not be topical <laughs> all the time, but... <laughs> You it's know. such a weird topic also, like, I don't know, this, this just, something about this is just so strange, like, it's so forced or something. I feel like the whole show could be, uh, could be wrapped around Warrior rising up and just saying a one word really loud, because it's like, noise, sound, 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 
you know, they, they don't even, they don't care what you're saying. They don't care what the theme is. It's just, you know, just make noise and sound. And it's kind of like what we used to do, but there's nothing that goes beyond the sound that you're hearing. Yeah. <sighs> I'm really convinced if instead of Oktoberfest, they just did a Halloween show, this would be at least more palatable than it yes. is. Because it is so awkward to think of all of these German things to like cram in here. So I don't know. It's very strange. My only thing I love, and we'll get to it, is that Bret Hart had to be in that. <laughs> <laughs> yes, everyone has to suffer equally, including the uh, very serious people. So That's an amazing thing. In, in two years, he's going to be world champion, but right now he's in a food fight on Saturday night's main event. <laughs> uh, well, Shawn Michaels doesn't even make the show, so, you know, yeah. it is what it is. Vince always loved Shawn Michaels, so I think he did him a favor here. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're right. You're right. Oh my god. Okay, so here we go. This is a matchup that really ought to be just this ought to be one that we are surprised about just how good it is. That's what this match should be because if you let Demolition actually have some authority and let them go at the Road Warriors and the Warrior, they I think it could it could be a very interesting thing. It certainly could have been. On paper, the idea of Demolition versus the Road Warriors is awesome actually, but uh but we will not get any aspect of that, really. Um, this match starts with Warrior and the, the Legion of Doom sneak attacking Demolition, which, of course, because they're baby faces. And Demolition, like, I swear they take over again at some point, but it's almost like it didn't happen because it just feels like they never stop getting railroaded here. Yeah, once you see, number one, they clothesline all three of them out of the ring, it does not take any effort whatsoever. They'll stunt, they'll they'll beat them down once in a while, but they are never really down. Like you can watch this match for yourself, and there's just something super insulting. Watch how many times the warrior dances and runs in place while Axe or Smash has to stand there for the longest time. Like they don't have any ability to do anything but stand there. Like you would think they were jobber rookies making their debut because. You can dance around them. They're not even that hurt, and they don't try to hit you. They don't try to move. They just, like, how long you have to stand there with your eyes wide open, like, oh, I don't know what's happening right now. It's just super insulting. Uh, the way we talked about the WWF in Japan, where it felt like, except in a good way there, you had, like, characters versus, like, wrestlers. Ultimate Warrior, to me, felt like something unlike everything around him. I, I realized, like, face-painted people are not all created equal. Like he seemed like super gimmick, and they all seem like super kind of real because of the way that their offense is, except for the fact that they lost their offense. It's like if they were starting an angle where Papa Shango had come to the company and his first act was to curse them to forget how to wrestle, it would make more sense than what I watched. <laughs> oh, sad but true. Honestly, I think they, they do kind of just like sway in place like they had a curse put on them or something. Yeah. Stand there and, oh, what? Wrestling? Yeah. Game? What? <laughs> it's like, oh, it's ridiculous. Yeah. Warrior's beating them all up by himself at times. So, like, the writing's on the wall there. They're useless. I got to say as well, man. I, I had to remind myself a few times hey, Ultimate Warrior, he's the champion, right? Isn't he? Is he? Mm. Is he? Is like he did not feel like it. It felt uh, too unbelievable that he could actually be champion and be in this match and have nothing going on for himself. He has a little bit of something 
going on for himself, but it's almost barely referenced. Like it's, it's pushed into a corner where we don't have to talk about it. So yeah, ultimate warrior, I guess is the WWF champion, but man, you could have fooled me in this match. My second note is wherever you put warrior on the card, it feels like he is the IC champion at best, if not nothing. (laughs) If not nothing, he's the, the third and uh, useless member of the Legion of Doom here, so... Well, he can't do anything. Like, the one thing you can give the Legion of Doom for sure is when Hulk comes off the top rope and hits you with a clothesline, you feel it at home. Mm. Like, and there's a difference, because Warrior can hurt you by doing a movement properly, but <laughs> LOD goes through you. When Demolition used to be tough, they go through you. Warrior goes around you and makes a lot of noise around you and jumps high around you and then, you know, doesn't really land on anything. So to me, it hurt Demolition because the way they booked them. It hurt the Warriors because he just stood out as ridiculous. He didn't do anything for anybody except, I guess, LOD, you know, asserted themselves over uh, Demolition. But, like, I don't understand how that would what they gave us would be better than having a hard fought victory where they earned something the warrior and LOD. Yeah, definitely not what they were going for here for whatever reason. So I will just say yes, definitely. Uh, probably the one redeeming value of this match for me is that hot tag by Hawk when he came mm-hmm. in and started running through people that, that yeah. got me excited for a second there. It's not yes. enough to redeem the match, but it does remind me that, uh, whether the Road Warriors are at full strength or whether they're at like 80% strength, they are going to be a lot of fun to watch. So I am looking forward to that. Yeah. That closed on at the top again, folks. Oh, so good. It's nice. Yeah, so um, good. Roddy Piper says, um, the demolition, they work as a team. Vision Man responds with, but that's a double team and a triple team. I don't <laughs> think he knows what team. <laughs> yeah. <I> mean, <laughs> Oh, my God. Babyface commentary running wild here, uh, for sure. And at times, Piper's trying to, like, take up for the other side a little bit, but not really, and he does a bad job. And Vince will just say something ridiculous, and Piper will just kind of – I mean, he has his own ridiculous to-do list, so, like, he has no time to argue with Vince McMahon. So, oh, this commentary. This is the worst commentary we've heard, I think, by a lot. Um, Like, we praise the commentary for these shows – pretty much exclusively from the main teams all the way down to Sean Mooney and Alfred Hayes, who we will hear again, and they will again do a good job. But Vince McMahon and Roddy Piper, man, that's a team that I could shut my ears to and just not hear again, and I'd be happy. Yes. They reflect the entire show, too, where it's like, it's obvious. There's nothing to debate. Like, there's nothing here. You know, it's just simple. Okay, good. One side sucks. The other side's awesome. And that's the end of the beginning and the end of the story. <laughs> right, without someone to stick up for the other side, you end up asking, well, why do you even employ those other side? Because they're just useless, and everyone agrees, and they did a bad job, and they just stood there while Ultimate Warrior did a dance for, like, 30 seconds and then died. So, yeah. you know, what what are we doing? Like, you have a bad promotion. You're employing bad people who, are, who have no redeeming value, apparently. It's also embarrassing because it hit me during the match that the Red Warriors do a run off the rope uh, shoulder, flying shoulder tackle, which Warrior does as well. So you're going to see two different versions of that in the match, and it's not going to make the world champion look good. (laughs) Anyone, hopefully no one would do this, but anyone who looks at these three and be like, oh, they're the same because they're muscular with face paint. Man, (laughs) you need your brain checked. I'm sorry (laughs) to say, but uh, they are not the same. Mystic already said it perfectly. 
One, two of these guys go through you, and one of these guys sort of like prances around and you know just does like I don't even know what he does. So there, there's a difference. Thank you. Yeah, one good thing that came out of this match is Roddy Piper says, "Oh, that's Dusty's. That's Dusty's son, Dustin." And we see Dustin Rhodes is seated in the front row of the crowd for one reason or another. Yes, 21-year-old Dustin Rhodes sitting smack dab in the front row, ready to to start a career, ready to wrestle Steve Austin for the TV title. Mm -hmm. But first, he's going to stop off here, and he's going to do some, and we're going to enjoy that thing he does a lot, I think. And I I really like that he's out here for this match as well. Because if he just yeah. comes out for the Dusty match, you know, that's fine. You can understand that. But uh, there's something, something a little more connected about the fact that he just came to watch the whole show. He's going to enjoy it. Um, man, if I had to watch this as my opening match, though, I'd probably try to get involved in the next one, too, just to get out of the rest of it. So Yes. So the match ends, of course, with the Ultimate Warrior doing his thing and scoring the pin. And then the LOD uh, lift the Warrior Sunny style onto their shoulders. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, if you were just their mascot, it would still be bad. So, you know. Yeah. He's okay. So that, for that. Demolition or not, the Heart Foundation Tag Champions. Yes, they are. Okay. And they'll defend Demolition those tag titles in a sausage stuffing thing. So. Oh, yeah. They, they have their moment. <laughs> Gene Arklin is at Oktoberfest. I really thought he was going to start talking about the hotline right here. <laughs> Is that vibe for sure? We got a bunch of heels. We got Fuji. We got the Orient Express. Um, we got Genius. And then we got uh, Hacksaws there, Heart Foundations there, Bushwhackers are there. Indeed. And Lord Alfred Hayes is on the scene and he's supposed to have his earpiece in, but it doesn't. <laughs> and they keep calling him. He never answers. He's just drinking beer and lecturing. Uh, this poor guy about how English beer is better and telling him stories. So that will be, there's your running theme of the night. It's not exactly what we ordered, but at least there's a, a running story through the night, right? Oh, boy. Yeah. Lord Alfred Hayes, is, he does a good job with it. Gene, he for does. some reason, doesn't realize that, you know, he's not listening. Gene, for once in his life, is nice and thinks there's a technical issue all night. It's probably the best part of this whole October best thing. That, that should tell yeah. you the bar is low, but once again, yeah. Oh, well. All right, so we're going to go to the ring, and we're going to see the Macho King Randy Savage go one-on-one with Dusty Rhodes. Absolutely. Once again, Savage looks incredible. So does Sherry and uh, even Rod, Roddy Piper doing bad bits on commentary, like attempting comedy bits that just do not land. Even that can't make me sad when Savage and Sherry come out and, when Dusty comes out, Piper says of Dusty to Vince, you like this guy. I know why you like him. You like the polka dots. And Vince McMahon says, what can I say? I'm into polka dots. And I think that revealed a little more than we were supposed to know yes. about this situation. Yeah, I think Piper, not on purpose, called him out on this is a rib. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my. Um Vince McMahon tells us that uh, Sensational Sherry brought a challenge to the Ultimate Warrior for Randy Savage and slapped him three times. It's very important that she slapped him three times. That would be an enormous talking point that it was three times, just like the three members of Demolition. The three is a bad number, I think, um, in this time period. But uh, that is the story, and you will hear about it, and not much will happen with it, but that is the story. So, 
Yeah, Sherry is still thriving. My, I can't like I love Randy Savage. I'm never gonna say bad things about him, but uh, I think the only thing in this amazing Dusty Rose Ted DiBiase feud is that because of the way the matches are booked, I almost feel like it needs to be somebody not Randy Savage because <laughs> like you can't really be that distracted in two matches and Savage can't really do much with you. But you know it's got to fit the story, so I don't think they're trying to slight Savage, but it's a weird thing that the former WWF champion can be in two matches with you and you're not even thinking about him. So he just keeps you in rest holds because he can't really beat you because the match can't end. Cause you got to do that thing. And Savage has got the shirt on like uh Miz fan has talked about. So, oh, yeah. you know, I feel like Savage is a really, really a team player and he can go as high as you want and he can be as flat as you want. And he'll do kind of, he'll do whatever you ask him, which to me, um, shows just how badly WWF treated him for him to jump to WCW. Yeah, something definitely happened there, and I don't think to this day we maybe know all the details, but um, yeah, that that relationship will fall apart in the end very badly. Uh, as for this period, man, I'll say Randy Savage, he's definitely rocking the look of the Macho King. He's doing the thing with Sherry, and uh, you know, there's something about that. But man, I feel like he hasn't had a real angle since WrestleMania five. Yeah, you know, like there's no real story to this that. The, the story of this is what? Oh, I'm a king, and you're a commoner, so we must fight, you know? Yep. Like, if only you had picked a different nickname, we could be friends, but you didn't, <laughs> so here we are fighting, you know? So, there's oh, nothing behind so this. So, as much fun as this is, and it is fun, it's a fun match, I really liked all the matches in this feud, but there's nothing, like, and it's not like they can't, because they're going to do an angle, like an honest-to-God angle here, with Dusty and DiBiase, and it's going to be yes. really good, so clearly they can they just didn't, so here we are. Yeah, the DiBiase, Dusty stuff is going to be amazing again. Yeah. But Savage should never be a guy that you could just substitute someone else in for him, and it would be the same thing. Yeah, it's a waste, for sure. So we got Randy Savage uh, rips an Ultimate Warrior poster out of the crowd and tears it up. So again, uh, building towards a matchup that supposedly is coming uh, Where so, does that match come, though? That's what I don't know. Is that just a house show thing, or is that going to be on some special episode, some other Saturday Night's main event? Because it's not a Survivor Series. And I haven't it's watched not at this the Rumble, since, so, yeah. I haven't watched it since I was a kid, but I'm wondering if part of the reason that Savage puts the scepter over his head during the Royal Rumble match is because of not following through or something. Maybe. I mean, Ultimate Warrior will accept this challenge before the end of the night, and why shouldn't he? He's not so great that he can't accept challenges. But, um, yeah, I don't know. I feel like there has to be this match somewhere. But, yeah, they're going to do the main event, and he's going to wrestle Ted DiBiase on that. And, yeah, I don't know. When is there an opportunity to do this match? I have no idea. So, yeah, if Warrior uh, welches on this, then, yeah, he should get hit with the scepter because, man, like, with all your other failings, Plus, you're going to dodge Randy Savage. Man, that's pathetic. Mm. So, uh, On the other hand, if I was world champion and I could dodge Randy Savage or Sergeant Slaughter, I would do that, too. <laughs> and then you lose anyway, so it's oh. even worse. Jeez. I will save my Sergeant Slaughter commentary for later. <laughs> <sighs> so Dustin Rose is in the crowd. He is encouraging his father. That's awesome. And then here comes Ted DiBiase and Virgil, and they pay... Each fan along the entire front row where Dustin is to just leave ringside. Uh, and I love this because I don't, it tells you that not only does everybody have a price, but 
if you buy a front row ticket to this Saturday night's main event and someone offers you money to leave, you gladly take it. <laughs> they knew. They knew what was coming. So they just uh, – but they missed the best part of the show. So the joke's yeah. on them. So. <laughs> it's funny because we have said so many times Ted DiBiase is his own worst enemy. Mm-hmm. And here he was almost that again because I was thinking this is one of the most genius – this is one of the best ideas I've ever seen because they're buying out that whole row so that they can sit on both sides of Dustin Rhodes and just cause chaos. But that was not their plan. They just wanted to show everybody ahead of price. They just wanted to give Dustin Rhodes money and he leave twos, which I don't know fully how that works so well. But <laughs> Dustin Rhodes won't take the money, and that becomes the best thing that can happen for the angle, for the match, for Ted DiBiase because it just creates great heat. When DiBiase and Virgil sit on other both sides of Dustin Rhodes and Dusty's wrestling and doesn't know it and then middle of the match he just glances over there and the fans are gone and Dustin Rhodes is sitting in between Virgil and Ted DiBiase after what happened with Sapphire after what's happened in this story this is compelling story for me yeah no absolutely and and, and props to whoever uh, decided that it should go this way absolutely because um it would have been real easy to just put Dustin at ringside and Ted and Virgil come down and they just kind of confront him for no reason. Like that's kind of the laziness I would expect from this era. But no, Dustin's in the front row. Uh, DiBiase and Virgil, yep, they buy out the fans, which is a great touch because once again, DiBiase, it's more important to him to mm-hmm. to prove his point, to prove his uh, you know catchphrase than it is, than anything else. And I'll say if we did the the um, award show again. And we were talking about heels, like that heel award for for guy who was like most stuck to their heeliness. I'd probably put Ted DiBiase up here because he has shown his his um, morals, such as they are, like his his moral philosophy yeah. is more important to him than his own success. So that there's something to that. But yeah, he is out here. He's gonna prove, I guess, that Dustin will like abandon his father for a hundred dollar bill, and it doesn't work out. And of course, DiBiase doesn't like that. So now, yes, we have kind of the trap set at ringside as DiBiase and Virgil are frank- flanking Dustin in the front row. Yeah, and that is, to me, it has to be said, uh, at the height of the Ultimate Warriors world title reign mm-hmm. and at the height of Hogan Earthquake, Dusty Rhodes and Ted DiBiase are having the best feud in this company and it's by far. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, certainly the best thing on this show uh, my only competition is a segment that we're going to talk about a little bit later uh, with the big boss man and Bobby Heenan. But, yeah, I mean, this is the, definitely, as far as the spotlight of this Saturday Night's Men event goes, this runs laps around absolutely everything else that we're going to see. It does, especially knowing the storyline. You know, Dustin and Dusty are not that close. Yeah. So, you know, Dustin is being supportive of Dusty, and it really feels like, this is the it's the way of of the rustler. It's the way of the cowboy. It's the way of Dusty that maybe family should come first, but they never do. Like he's the American dream. He he belongs to America. He belongs to the fans. He belongs to his character. Mm. And it's only when he's betrayed by the people that are closest to him in his professional life. It's only when he has nothing else to turn to that then he turns to family. And there's Dustin Rhodes. And you think about the fact that four years later. When Dustin Rhodes has got his own career and he distances himself from Dusty a little bit, it's only when Arn Anderson betrays him. It's only when he loses everything that he has to turn to his father, Dusty Rhodes. 
Yes, the drama of this family is uh, eternally interesting to me, like all the way up to uh, that uh, 2013 um, mm. feud, that match that we watched um, some time ago for a special episode. Yes. So, yeah, certainly, certainly the drama of the Rhodes family, and I love the way you characterize them right here. That is very compelling stuff. I love that stuff. It is. Also as compelling is how Sherry can take a glove and stretch it out to choke Dusty Rhodes on both sides of his <laughs> neck. Sherry Martell continues to be a strong MVP of every segment she's in. Yes. I love her. Absolutely. This is just good stuff because we're talking about a company where it feels like at times there are no heels. There's no urgency. Well, you put Sherry and Ted DiBiase in a segment right there and you got all the heels and all the urgency you need. Absolutely. It's still there. It's still possible. You're just not putting in the legwork on most of these matches and stories. But right here, they're doing it. And it's as great. It's as great as it ever was. This could have been right in uh, 87 or something, you yeah. know, and it would have uh, fit right in perfectly with how hot that time period was. <laughs> Does anybody know what the name of the move is where you put the guy's neck on the rope? But Diesel does it and many others, and you run and you kind of drop your leg or your butt kind of on their on their back and their shoulders. Oh, man, does it have a name? I honestly don't know. Okay. I know what you're talking about, though. Whatever that is, Savage tries that, and, and Dusty moves, and Savage just get, gets hung upside down by his legs, and it's just a nice little, nice little moment. It's really nice. We're talking a lot about the story, and the story with Dustin really enhanced the match, but I would say this was very fun, even apart from that. Um, like I think you mentioned at times, they are just kind of like killing time. So stuff could happen at ringside, but uh, this is very fun. You know, they're never going to get a chance, Dusty and Savage to have the match that I think we all know maybe they could have had under perfect circumstances. But as far as their singles matches have gone, like th this, this was pretty good. I really enjoyed this. I agree a hundred percent. Uh, it is about the story, but you know, it's still Savage and Dusty in there. Mm -hmm. So you're going to get Savage and Dusty. Uh, the front row fight to me is awesome because it's so in the crowd that I think it almost caused a riot with the first. Like I think that there's a lot of times in this era where things happen around the crowd where it looks like there's at least two or three people who might think it's real enough to think, is it my responsibility to help the baby face when something like this happens? <laughs> it's very hot when it, it is. gets started. Yeah, no, this is great stuff. So Dustin is trying to like kind of jump out of his seat a little bit just to cheer his dad on, and Ted keeps kind of pulling him back. And uh, eventually, Dustin, he's had enough. He punches Ted DiBiase in the face. All three guys start fighting. And, yeah, it really does look like the the fans might jump in. But uh, they do spill into the ringside area out of the crowd. And uh, Vince McMahon has one of his few moments of quality on commentary where he says, Dusty, turn around. They're beating your son. Yes. Yes. This whole thing is done perfectly. The energy, the feeling. Ted DiBiase so smartly kind of punches Dustin into the arena and out of the crowd. Um, security rush quickly and kind of just shut off the crowd. And they beat this, they beat him down. And again, it's a thing how you feel with Vincent Man commentating, and you as the fan can see it, but Dusty Rose can't see it. And you know he's going to turn around and he's going to see it. And eventually he does. And Dusty Rose is going to come down there and Dusty Rose is going to take the beating for his son, but it's not before Dustin Rhodes, who's not yet even Dustin Rhodes, really the wrestler, is bloody from his head through his hair. Dusty Rhodes is going to lay on top of his son and take the beating, and eventually he's going to roll over both father and son laying on the floor with Dusty Rhodes yelling no up to the ceiling over and over again, but he cannot undo once again what has already been done. Yeah, yep. Yeah. No, great segment, great moment, 
a great angle, great inciting incident. This is what I've been asking for for a while here. Like these kinds of angles are the thing that put the WWF in the lead. I, I really believe that, and the fact that they kind of forgot about that, except for these rare occasions, uh, I think is all the sign you ever need for the fact that, yeah, they are declining in business at this time, and they'll continue to do so. Yeah. Roddy Piper says, that's a father watching his son be destroyed. Mm. It's a, it's a, even the fact that we know Dustin Rose has not been fathered very much, and that Teddy Biasi your father's opponent is like fathering you. Like he's sitting you down when you want to stand up. He's like controlling you. And we see the temper of Dustin Rose too, which will carry throughout his entire career. So there's beautiful, authentic stuff throughout this. It's well told. You feel it. You experience it. I cannot recommend enough to go back and watch this match in this segment and just, just experience this thing and know why the Rhodes family all the way to today is making as much noise as they do. Indeed. Feel free to skip the rest of Saturday Night's main event, but this is one that you should watch. This is great stuff. I I was shocked that Dustin uh, actually bleeds uh, kind of all over here because you don't really get to see that in this era. And yet, man, I'm a sucker for blood. I feel like it adds a lot. It added a lot here. And um, yeah, no, just super compelling stuff. This was very good. Yeah, I didn't know. How is it that Dustin Rhodes is bleeding on Saturday Night's main event? When he's yeah. not even actually much of a wrestler, and yet he's going to get fired four years later from WCW for bleeding. <laughs> great, great question. Oh, my gosh. I'm not even going to get into that again. So Sean Mooney is with Hulk Hogan and Typhoon. Uh, useless, pointless promo. They're not going to celebrate till they settle the score. There's going to be no speed limit. Um, something, something, just that, 24-inch pythons. Uh, Tugboat says earthquake sitting on them was like the Hindenburg crashing onto their chest, which is Not just really. one of many very strange lines of the night. So, all right. Um, <laughs> Earthquake's yeah. butt is like a giant fireball, I guess. So I, I really have no no way to interpret that comment. So moving yeah, on. And on top of that, I will not... I refuse to not know that I saw Hulk Hogan Hulk up and throw him off after that move, so I'm not going to pretend like that move can do any damage. Right, for heaven's sake. Oh, my God. The things they will ask us to believe, in contrary to what we have seen with our own eyes on this show, is just ridiculous. And if you want to know how we feel about the show, like that was a really bad promo, and we go from that to Gene Erkelin with the Bushwhackers. And guess what? They're... Cutting the cheese. Uh, yeah. That's the whole bit. They're just cutting cheese, and Gene Okerlund acts like it stinks. And yeah, if yeah. you don't get it the first time, the fourth, the fortieth time, you might. <laughs> I'm sure there was a small subset of kids who thought this was hilarious, but man, yeah. that is not worth alienating the rest of your audience. So yeah, so we go back to Lord Alfred Hayes, and maybe he can hear, and he just doesn't want to be part of this segment. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't blame him in the slightest. He's still talking about alcohol, and eventually he's going to be under the influence of it. So, <laughs> You want to talk about bad? As I said, again, bad promo, bad bushwhackers. Now we go to the ring for Rhythm and Blues versus Typhoon and Hulk Hogan, or Tugboat and Hulk Hogan. Oh, my God. Yeah, this is bad on both sides because you've got black-haired sidekick honky-tonk <laughs> man part two in Greg Valentine, which is terrible. On the other side, you've got Hulk Hogan. And, man, if he'd stuck around just a little while longer, uh, I'm sure he could have teamed with Babyface Doink, and then they could have been, like, friends <laughs> in the 90s. Like, 
Tugboat's on that level. Like, he's wearing a little sailor suit. He has no credibility. He has no history in the promotion. He's just some, like, big dork who showed up in the stupidest costume with the stupidest name. And Hulk Hogan, I guess, thought he was amazing and became, like, his best friend forever. So, you know, it's it's just stupid on both sides. The whole thing is built around the fact that Vince McMahon thought he had, like, amazing, like, gigantic arms. So he liked him because of that. Um, but if, if you're going to make him WrestleMania 7 or whatever you're going to try to do, you can't make him tug. Like, how how's this? I'm not going to say Tugboat is as bad as the Red Rooster, but I will say that Tugboat has no more chance to main event a WrestleMania than a Red Rooster. It's, it's number two, as far as I'm concerned, as far as bad gimmicks go, because, yeah. Yeah, no, you're right. He never, ever could have gone anywhere with this stupid tugboat gimmick. Good God, what were they thinking? Oh, my God. This is WWF privilege, though, too, again, that even when they talk about him, it seems like we never talk, like, you talk about, like, oh, well, we wanted him to do this, but, you know, it didn't work out. Nobody simply says, like, how stupid is the wrestling company that wanted him to do it but made him tugboat? Yeah, it bears mention. Whoever came up with the tugboat gimmick probably should have been fired out of a cannon. So. <laughs> yeah, it's it's like his striped shirt. You can see through his pants because his pants are white and ridiculous. Um, <laughs> he makes noises that I guess the kids are supposed to get into, but nobody's really doing it. He has no legit like earthquake. They're making a monster, and it's still like so so. Tugboat, they're making a joke, and he's supposed to challenge Hulk Hogan. Like, I didn't, you know, come on, stop. I really this. have to wonder when they abandoned that idea, because Slaughter's already here, and he's, like, doing the thing that yeah. Tugboat was supposed to do. So did they already give up on this? And then why why continue with these lame Hogan-Tugboat, like, tag team things? So I, yes. I don't understand it at all. That's a great question. I thought he was going to betray Hogan, like, three times during the match. <laughs> I was kind of waiting for it, because, man, Typhoon's better than this, like, for yeah, God's sake. Of course. Yeah. All right, so you're, like, the top, maybe the third top baby face, and you're going to be the top heel, kind of where you're booked, and Roddy Piper says, come on, Tugger. You know, like, <laughs> I wrote that down, too. If, Potty, if Roddy Piper has to scream, come on, Tugger, at you, <laughs> then you're not going anywhere. You're already done. Yeah. It's like a 1957. He's Tiger. Come on, Tiger. And he's like the 12 year old son of the main character in the show. Like he's he's Opie to Hulk Hogan's Andy. The wonderful thing about Tugger is Tugger's a wonderful thing. There you go. Uh, it's so bad, and it gets worse the longer you see. Like I'm so tired. Like later on, not only did I hate that promo that they do after this match because you can't hit 50 stupid references after that but he's got that stupid hat back on after the match again like, <laughs> <laughs> oh this is bad and man it goes on for like 10 minutes yes. or something like just an un and that's the other thing it does it hardly bears mention because everything else is so stupid it just blends in but in what world are rhythm and blues any threat to the hulk hogan you know, Hulk Hogan doesn't even need Tugboat out here. No. I think he really could have just destroyed both of these guys by himself in about two minutes. It's a test for Tugboat, not for Hogan. <laughs> the Tugger has to come along. Oh, my God. Yeah. I also, I hate ragging on WCW so much as a WCW guy, but 
I had the thought in this matchup how outdated it feels to see Hulk Hogan in the ring with Honky Tonk Man in 1990. And then four years later, when Hogan goes to WCW, we're going to hire Honky Tonk Man and make him the TV champion. Oh, my God. That initial Hulk Hogan era is certainly an extension of what we are watching now. Yes. It is a direct extension from here to there. So geez. It is. And you start to see it. like It's starting to sandwich together where this era of Hulk Hogan reminds me less of WWF, and it reminds me of a trial run for early in WCW. <laughs> oh, it's really bad. So <laughs> Tugboat is not even a good partner. Because Hogan is about to do the leg drop and finish the match, and Tugboat, like, physically runs into him and stops him. Yes. So he can point out, like, a hundred yards away, Earthquake is, like, slowly walking around. So you could have just been done, but you screwed it up. You're a bad partner. And this is all, yeah, like you said, I thought he would betray him, like, a bunch of times. Because he basically does betray him because he does such a bad job. Yeah. But again... I said this on a previous show with Brutus Beefcake main eventing SummerSlam. To me, if if you think Hulk Hogan just got away with everything, you didn't look close enough because Hulk Hogan lets us know on camera that he betrayed Randy Savage before the Mega Powers even broke up. And in Randy Savage, he had a competent friend. He had someone who he could compete with, and he betray him for no reason. And when you do things like that, when you betray credible people, credible people stop coming around. And since then, he has had to take Brutus Beefcake as his partner. And now Tugboat, who is like a child and doesn't know how to wrestle and doesn't know what to do. These are the kind of partners you get when you get threatened and betray anyone who's on your level. Uh, and yet he will never really suffer for it because he'll just be fine anyway because he just lives that Hulk Hogan life. <laughs> yeah. I'll say this. I'll take Tugboat over Beefcake, so yeah, I'll tell you something. <laughs> yeah, because if, if you made Tugboat the, the barber and you made Bruce Beefcake Tugboat, Tugboat would get better and Beefcake would get worse, I think. <laughs> I don't want to see him in that stupid hat and those stripes. Uh, wow, 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 wow. Oh, dear. So the ending of this is horrible also because Hulk yeah. Hogan, like – Honky Tonk Man comes in at, like, a very slow, very deliberate speed with a guitar in his hand. And Hulk Hogan, he's going to come in and help Tugboat not get hit with the guitar. And then he just stands there as Earl Hebner, of all people, somehow successfully holds back all 300 pounds of Righteous Fury. And Hogan just stands there helplessly a few feet away as Honky Tonk Man wallops Tugboat with that guitar. And... Like, and it's just a DQ, so, like, the referee is even aware of it, but, <laughs> <laughs> like, it fails on a bunch of different levels. It's just a really bad finish to a really terrible match. Yeah, it fails on a whole different, on all different levels is the best way to put it. Because then, this is a horrible match that I had to start skipping through, and I rarely do that. And it leads to a DQ, and then it leads to a beatdown, and then it leads to Tugboat coming in with the guitar and holding it long enough where you think he's got to hit Hogan with it, because there's no point in standing there with it that long. So at least he proved to me that sometimes they can do that and it doesn't lead to a betrayal. Because <laughs> he cleared the ring. They're all out of the ring and he just stands there while it's like, it's like he's waiting for Hogan to get up behind him so he can turn around and hit him, but he never does. <laughs> Indeed. Um, and, and just everything you said here, like Earthquake comes down, Dino Bravo comes down, they're beating up Hogan, and I'm sitting here and I'm like, why should I care? 
I know that Hulk Hogan could take Earthquake's best shot and just yes. shrug it off and have no ill effects at all. Like, the first time he got sat on, he had to go to the hospital for, like, three months. But now, like, it doesn't do anything anymore. Like, he built up an immunity, I guess, <laughs> to being sat on. Um, so, yes, like, they just beat up Hogan for a while. Then Tugboat comes back and he saves Hogan, who doesn't really even need saving. And then McMahon screams, thank God for Tugboat. And that just tells you everything you have to know. Yeah, because we're still supposed to believe that that would have ended his career. I watched SummerSlam. You know, people that paid their money to see SummerSlam are not going to hopefully be that insulted. Right. And now that we know history, we know Hogan had a movie to make. So who's to say that they ever heard him the first time? Right. <laughs> you know? Absolutely. Oh, my gosh. That's the most lo- the most logical thing you can say is not that Hulk, it no longer hurts him. You can say that Hulk Hogan faked an injury to go make a movie and then exploited it and then came back and showed that he had never really been hurt by it. <laughs> Makes as much sense as anything else, for sure. And that's sad, too, because when you, when you run out of people who are credible because they don't come around you and you can't betray them anymore, you also start betraying your fans with like the kind of segments you put out. <laughs> Oh, uh, it's a, I, I was going to say it was only a matter of time. It's a good thing he left before he started feuding with the fans. But then I remember Hollywood Hogan, he does feud with the fans, yes. you know, so the betrayal <laughs> becomes complete in the end. It, it goes exactly where it needed to go at the end of the day. Yeah. If you follow this from start to finish, like we're doing, you know, it always had to happen. <laughs> oh, he's been so Hollywood a number of times. He had the weight belt. He's acted inappropriately. <laughs> You know, he's he's done all sorts of Hollywood hints, so you know it's gonna and he's already in Hollywood, you know, that's yes. already his priority, so he's pretty much there already. We're just waiting for the official word. Absolutely. So we go from that mess to Gene Erkelin, who is with the genius, and we're told that he is the master sausage stuffer. Like like seven times in this segment they make a point to call him a sausage stuffer, and if you don't know what that is going on for then ask the ultimate warrior and he'll tell you all about oh. the the sins and evils that were being referenced here yeah these are just idiotic segments that could just be eliminated today and we'd be better off for them we'd all be happier for so many reasons so yes lanny poffo's there he's wearing a woman's wig for no reason like i have no idea why and uh, <laughs> do you want to tell everyone about the the sausage stuffing contest. You seemed a little excited about this. No, I, I don't actually. <laughs> uh, all right. So Orient Express and Mr. Fuji has to stuff sausages in a contest with the Heart Foundation and Jim Duggan. Why does this happen? I don't know. Oktoberfest. We're just no. killing time here. So, so they make a mess, and that that's the segment. They make a mess. Yeah, Lord Alfred Hayes is still pretending like he doesn't work for this company. <laughs> I can't blame him. At the end, he will say he doesn't want to be associated with this anymore, and I, I don't blame him for that either. So we go back to the ring. We got an IC title match, as you may know it. Uh, we got a new champion at SummerSlam. Now we got Texas Tornado uh, defending the IC title against Haku of the family. <laughs> Before the match, Bobby Heenan offers Kerry the chance to give up the title and walk away so he doesn't get hurt. He says, we'll call it even. <laughs> I enjoyed that, was nice. that. That was fun. That might have been the highlight of this. I thought that was excellent. Yeah, that was good. Um, I really have no big issue with this match. It's just kind of very short. Um, You know, Kerry wins, obviously. I don't know if there's a lot to say. He does the claw. He really kind of whirls around and hits Haku at the end to get the victory. Um, 
Yeah, there's not a whole lot to say about this. It's it's certainly inoffensive compared to some of this, but there's not a whole lot to see either. Yeah, I like the end of it. So he puts the claw on Haku, who backs up to the rope. So his back's against the rope, which means the hold has to be broken. So Tornado breaks the hold and backs off a couple a couple of steps. He waits till Haku walks like one or two steps off the ropes. Then he runs off the side rope, spins around, and hits that punch. So a clever way to get the uh, the pin there at the end. It's a nice finish. And I will say, I'm not an enormous Kerry Von Erich fan, but man, you can visually compare him to the Ultimate Warrior, but he's another one who just in like the small things he does is about a hundred times better than Warrior. So, you know, I think yeah, he, he's anyway. He spun the belt overhead for a moment. And I thought, man, they, they can just <laughs> swap them out. They could have, like, they look enough alike. You could have just slap the face paint on and just pretended he was him all along, and I would have been happier for it. So, oh well. Yeah. Uh, Shaw Mooney is with Hulk Hogan and Tugboat in this overly produced offensive uh, segment here. This really, it's a sign of everything that's kind of wrong here, because at the start, Hogan is coughing and he's selling, but guess what? He's not too hurt to make, like, a hundred puns. <laughs> um, so he's clearly not very hurt. And they just undercut themselves immediately, and that's just kind of the symbol of all this main event stuff right now. Yeah, I went from I hate this segment and I hate this promo to my goodness, they memorize a lot of stuff. You got to give them credit for that. <laughs> yeah, they've got nautical puns, they've got German puns, they've got puns for days. I feel like I would have needed a week to like get all that down and. You know, so I was impressed, but like when when that's what your mind and that's the problem for me, for someone who wants that kind of authentic feel is even if I'm impressed with like what they're memorized, do you want me thinking about, oh, my God, they had this ridiculous script that they wanted them to do. And my God, they memorized all of it like that. Is that where my mind should be when I watch this segment? Uh, it shouldn't, but it is. Yes, they they lay it on so thick that you are smothered with it. Um, and yeah, this is where Tugboat complains. Oh, people thought I was just a Tugboat and that made me mad. Yeah. Um, he praises Hogan for hanging and banging with him, which is a weird Hoganism that just always makes me uncomfortable to hear about. So. The man whose only name that we've been given is to call him Tugboat says up until tonight, everybody thought I was just a Tugboat. And he's got his hat back on. So, like, sadly, I hate to tell you, but when you leave here, you're still going to be Tugboat. Oh, my God. It's it's hard to even articulate how many levels this fails at. Because, <laughs> like, like, in the first place, he called himself Tugboat, which we know is stupid. And then he was mad people thought he was a Tugboat. And, like, does he mean an actual Tugboat? Because Tugboat doesn't actually mean something in this context. But you're mad that people thought you were a Tugboat. Yeah. And then, and then, yeah, you're still just acting like Tugboat, so, like... Uh. You could change your name and change your clothes if you wanted to. That'd be the <laughs> easiest way to get people to, you know, to not think that. You could wear a different outfit. Yeah. For God's sakes. Oh, my God. Yeah. Up until the day they thought I was Hulk Hogan and I was Sean Mooney. My God, what's happening here? <laughs> you know, Mystic, all this time I've been really mad because people thought I was the Miss fan. And it's going to be different from now on, so so let's continue okay. doing nothing different, and it'll be different. a new message from Ms. Fan. There, we will see Ms. Fan as not Ms. Fan next week as Ms. Fan. <laughs> God. This oh, is oh 
God, just let him be Typhoon. It's not. Yes. Oh, it's, it's better than this, for God's sake. All right, that's that's it. Oh dear. And so, the only stupid thing he ever did was in WCW. But just remember that, folks. <laughs> Oh, man. You think Vince slipped him a little extra money to be like, hey, we made you do something stupid. Could you do something stupider over there yeah. <laughs> and just make people forget about us? I don't know. <sighs> so now we got more matches, though, at least. So we got Coco Beware going up against this rising uh, young stud named Sergeant Slaughter. <laughs> oh, my God. So this is where this was the worst um, commentary stuff for me because I was like, man. We really need a heel in the booth so someone cannot be racist. And that should tell you everything you need to know about babyface commentary because it's all like, oh, these foreigners and they take advantage of America and they should just leave our country. And they're, they're friends with Saddam Hussein and they're the devil and America first. And then, like, not to skip ahead, but at the end of this, Volkov will walk out with an American flag, and I think Piper and Vince McMahon orgasm simultaneously (laughs) at the sight of this stupid flag. So, Jesus Christ, we needed Jesse Ventura or somebody to just be like, hey, it's not a crime to be from another country. (laughs) You know, (laughs) like, you need a heel in there to say that, just for sanity's sake. (laughs) I don't feel like this man betrayed his country either. Like, when. I know we're not watching everything, and I don't want to, and this is not an invitation to do so. But <laughs> in my memory, this is kind of like, to me, if you make such an identity-changing decision, good or bad, you're going to be, like, heightened and sharp. He looks like he's stumbling around, like, again, someone medicated him, <laughs> and they're taking advantage of him, and he doesn't know what he's doing. Yeah. This is yeah. so bad. It's really bad. So he's fully in it now. He's with, um, I forget his WWF name. He's Sheik Adnan Al-Kasi, who was in uh, AWA and actually had a very nice feud, a very bloody feud with Nick Bockwinkle at the start of the 80s. So uh, that is my shout-out to that. You know, little Bobby Heenan babyface work, if you can believe it, in that feud. And I'm going to mention that because it's much more interesting than anything that's going to happen here. Yeah, shout-out to our prof who's so good at breaking down the kind of the stuff that's more social, political, topical in that way. But mm-hmm. I just feel like I want to tap out every time I get to this stuff. And yeah, this is, we are building our WrestleMania main event right now is what we're doing. Know it or not at this time. Indeed. Um, yes, definite shout out to our prof who pointed out the only person in the whole company who seems to be capable of having these conversations is uh, our man Slick, who's been great and who has made yeah. uh, some very enjoyable political comments. And he's the only one who can handle this discourse, because everyone else just does such a bad job of it, that yes, I want to turn off my TV when I see it. And... I, I don't say this much, and I'm sure I'll say it at different times during this, but this is a little bit of what it felt like during the Vince Russo WCW stuff, where there were segments where I've already made one comment and every week I don't have the energy to watch and, and comment on because you, it's, it's defeating me. Like it is getting the best of me and I don't have much energy to give. Uh, yeah, it's bad stuff. I was glad to see Coco beware, but he's obviously not the point here. Um, you know, he gets to do a little bit of stuff, which is fine. And Slaughter makes him tap out. He does it. He does what it with like do? a noogie. <laughs> yes, to the face. <laughs> Thank you. 
I was hoping that was going to come up. I was, I, I was not going <laughs> to add conversation to this, but I wanted it to come up. <laughs> so he, he gives him a noogie, and that is that is the deadly evil foreign tactic, I guess, that will make you tap out. So he's I gonna feel like he's going to replace clutch. this with, like, the yeah, the camel clutch. But right now it's a noogie, so I guess it can always be worse is the story here. I think the only thing that made me want to watch WrestleMania 7 is if that was still his move, because I think Hogan would ridiculously sell that thing to, to the moon. <laughs> oh, he'd have a big welt on his face that we'd have to look at, like what Sergeant Slaughter did to him. Like, Oh, man, dear. the faces that he will pull. Oh, don't worry, Hogan will have something stupid on his face, because after WrestleMania, Sergeant Slaughter will, like, throw a fireball in his face backstage, uh-huh. and he'll have a stupid mask that he wears for a while, so let's look uh-huh. forward to that. I don't think I knew that. Or I forgot one. That's also beautiful because Hulk Hogan will leave the company after a fire explodes in his face and he gets leg dropped and stretchered out. <laughs> that is a beautiful thought indeed right now. So. And they will botch the fireball with Warrior in WCW. So there's a lot of Hogan in fire. <laughs> oh, my. Oh, my. Do I have Bushwhackers written down after this or can I not read my own writing? I mean, it's just the food fight, so I'm sure oh, the Bushwhackers okay. are there. Yes, a food fight ensues. I have no further notes. <laughs> yes, yeah, so I'm, I'm not adding either. Um, Lord Alfred Hayes is sloshed. Uh, turns <laughs> out he's just he, he's just been having a good time, and you know, good for him because no one else has. <laughs> Indeed. Uh, we go backstage to the Ultimate Warrior, who has redone his face paint, yeah. and uh, he is acting weird and barking at Sean Mooney. He calls Sensational Sherry uh, the evil brawn of the WWF, so take that for what you will. Um, I notice he's very much now, he's fully embraced the Hulk Hogan strategy of calling on, like, his child fans yes. to, like, stand with him always, so there's that. It's funny that comes after they said that they felt like he was not really connecting with the fans, so I guess the only way to connect with them is to threaten them because that's what they're used to. <laughs> oh, my. Um, so he accepts the challenge, I think. They act like he accepted it. I don't yeah. really know what he said. Um, but uh, we go over to Sherry and Savage, and Sherry is just obliterating Warrior in the uh, face paint department, in the crazy energy department, in every possible way. Um, Savage says something that I didn't write down because it was generic, and then Piper hits Sherry in the butt and says something stupid in German, so that, yeah, that tells you what you need to know again. Yeah, and that's when I wrote down, I don't know that I'd tune in to this if it was in real time. <laughs> I don't need to see Piper, yeah, smack a woman in the butt and then, then squeal, perfect Nugent, or whatever <laughs> he said. Like, that alone is probably grounds to change the channel forever, so. Yeah, we're ending with Warrior and then the Savage. Savage is inevitable that he'll be a future WWF champion, so that's nice because he actually will, but it won't be right now. Yeah. Uh, this just, man, oh my gosh. Like, there's so many times when I don't like something that by the time we get through talking about it, I at least like it a little bit better. But this feels exactly like it felt when I watched it. So, Unfortunately, yes. It's probably the worst episode we've done in terms of Saturday Night's main event. Uh, there was one really good thing on it, but man, just about everything else was just uh, like the Intercontinental title match was just there. And then the rest of it was just just really bad, actually. So it's unfortunate. Yeah, I feel like we need to have a conversation because I believe we got the main event before Survivor Series, right? Yes, we do. We do have that. So we'll see what that looks like. Yeah, um, 
I'm not quite sure. We'll see. Okay. <laughs> Mr. Perfect, let's get to the bonus stuff because you actually delivered here and we got really good stuff to talk about. I try. I try. I think if you're thinking of skipping the main event, I think it's better than this, but there's probably some bad stuff as well. So I just don't know because it feels like it's too much to throw it on Survivor Series, and I don't know if it's enough to do another week on. It would be hard for me to skip. Uh, well, we could do it with bonus material, I guess, but Big Boss Man versus Mr. Perfect is on that show, oh. so that is not something I would want to miss. <laughs> would you be willing to do it as a bonus for the next one that we have that's not a... We'll talk about it. Yeah, it's a possibility. We'll yeah, go over the card, and we'll, we'll decide for ourselves. I know we got Warrior and DiBiase, which probably is better, but, you know. Yeah, we also got Tito and Martel, which is, you know, exciting for what it is, but uh, they may not get a lot of time, so... All Mr. Right, well, Perfect and Ron Garvin is good, though. Oh, yeah. Let's get into our bonus material here. We have Mr. Perfect and Ron Garvin in the first match. It's from an episode of Primetime back in August. Uh, just a little really close to SummerSlam. Went back for this one because I thought it was worthwhile. Um, yeah, like, I feel like these guys are so well paired up. And uh, I really like both guys in the first place. But you've got Ron Garvin who can punch you. Like, his hands are made of concrete. You got Mr. Perfect, who can, like, fly around like he just got hit with a block of concrete. So it's, like, a very good pairing right here. Yeah, people, again, I think we always forget how aggressive Kurt Hennig is. So, like, he just goes at it with Garvin. They start one hand choking each other and just, like, trying to kill each other at one point. (laughs) They do. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, I I could really watch these guys all day go at each other here. Because, yeah, it's not just the bones with Perfect. He's also very vicious. Ron Garvin is just, like, the grittiest man in the whole company, I think. There's just a lot of fun stuff going on here. Here's a question for you, because Perfect and Bobby Heenan are so good together. Yeah. Let's say that Perfect has stayed with Heenan and Flair comes in and the Brain Busters never left. Woo! Where would that group rank with the Horsemen? God, right up with the best incarnations, I think. You know, yeah. that's, that's a hell of a group right there. I mean, you'd have to look at how they were treated. But, man, just on paper, that's a really beautiful group. Yeah, that, to me, the, you might have the most natural. Because when I watch, Heenan doesn't even have to be on camera. But there's something about Perfect and Heenan being together that just makes me feel okay. Like, okay, life is right. Things make sense. <laughs> And then Flair comes in. The only thing that could have made the greatest Royal Rumble of all time even better is when Flair was celebrating at the end if Arn Anderson had been there, too. Oh, yes. So, so true. Oh, my God. I just watched the um, 1998 Ric Flair returns to Nitro promo mm-hmm. when they reformed the Horsemen. And God, it gave me chills there just thinking of Flair and Anderson together. And you put them in this time with the right people around them. Man, that's something. That's really beautiful. That's beautiful. Yeah, we've been talking about all this wrong right now. Nothing is more right than Bobby Heenan and Mr. Perfect. Like, every single week that we do one of these matches, it's just... It's something about wrestling where once in a while a guy is doing exactly what they're supposed to do when they're supposed to do it, with whom they're supposed to do it. And you look and you're like, I have no complaints. This is right. And that's what I get right now with Perfect and Bobby Heenan. No, that's really beautiful. I love that. I love the thought of that. Whew, yeah, so uh, he's here with Garvin, and um, they just have a great match. This is a great match, in my opinion. I don't even know how long it is. It's probably not long enough for most people to call it a great match, but, man, length does not equal quality. They do so much great stuff in the time they've got. They don't overstay their welcome. This match just really hits me in a really good place. 
Yeah, and the ending to me is beautifully genius. It's excellent. Uh, Ronnie Garvin's going for a suplex, but he's being slow and taking his time. So if, if you can imagine, if I've got you hooked for a suplex, you pretty much have me hooked for a suplex as well. So while he's waiting to do his suplex, Henning just grabs him up and throws him in the perfect flex. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's so smooth. It's so fluid. Oh, I loved it. It was great stuff. And I'll say this, too. I, I got a lot of praise for Ron Garvin in this match. I have a line that I wrote down. Ron Garvin is the straight line between two points. Like, mm. there's never a time where this guy is not going straight for what he wants. Um, there's a point in the match where he just grabs Perfect's head and drives him face first into the mat. And it's so perfectly Ron Garvin that, like, I, I, yeah, I could put that in the dictionary next to him and you'll just know who he is then. Mm. That's so well said. You just gave me a revelation in my spirit that that massive ongoing feud that's so that intense feud between greg valentine and ronnie garvin they were wrestling to see the winner would get to be who they are at their core and the loser would have to team up with the honky tonk man (laughs) that's why they were fighting like that that's the cruelest stipulation i've ever heard (laughs) that that should not be uh sanctioned by the the championship committee that's that's not good both of them, though, that's why when you said it, they're both kind of a straight line. They are kind of no nonsense. And then, like, Greg Valentine's running around with that hair and doing that stupid stuff. And Ronnie Garvin is is still being true to Ronnie Garvin, so he definitely won that feud. He did. He did. Although uh, I was a little surprised to see him here. Like, he will not get any spotlight after this. So, you know, Valentine will make appearances on pay-per-views and uh, – you know, he'll do all this stuff, and Ron Garvin, well, we'll have to dig him out of the bonus footage if we ever want to see him again, so. I think he's leaving in November, because I was listening to a shoot interview with him, and they said, you were in a feud with Martell, but it never materialized. What happened? He's like, I was done. It was hunting season. I didn't want to work anymore. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? I can respect that. You know, yeah. at his point in his career, you know, he's been a world champion and probably um, you know, he's had kind of the feuds he wanted to have, made the money he wanted to make. Cool, man. Go do you. Go do. Go live your life. Don't just sit in the WWF until they treat you like crap. They kind of did anyway, but yeah, no, good for him. Yeah, absolutely. So that's that's wild, but you know, folks, all the bonus stuff, you know, it's here for a reason. So we we'll say it anyway at times, but you know, we don't really have to go and watch these matches if you haven't. Absolutely do. I post the links on uh, LPForums.com as well as on Twitter, so you can hopefully check them all out with us. Um, my only other comment on this is I think Vince McMahon called this match all by himself, and weirdly, yeah. it was better than when he calls with Piper, so I don't even know what to think about that. <laughs> yeah, I remember. I made some notes, but I'm not going to turn the page back over. Fair enough. <laughs> I know he talked in different tones. Like he would say something. Like he was talking to himself. He would say something, and then he would kind of question it, and then it would be like, "Hey," and, you know. <laughs> he should have just done the Jesse and Tara side too, and just played both roles. Probably would have been better than Piper. Yeesh. Here's a funny thing. This next one, I was so excited about that I had to just check myself because I didn't want to ruin it by being overly excited, and it still outdid what I was thinking. <laughs> Yeah, we are going to move on to uh, the aftermath of Saturday Night's main event, November 3rd, WWF Superstars. We have Ted DiBiase taking on Dustin Rhodes, 21-year-old Dustin Rhodes, in a match with a 10-minute time limit. The challenge, could Dustin Rhodes last 10 minutes 
with Ted DiBiase, the Million Dollar Man. That that's a great setup. That is a sign of some creative thinking. I don't know if that came from Dusty or anybody, but that's something different. That's something that stands out. And man, like you got two incredibly talented people in the ring, and then more talented people at ringside. So there's a lot of good stuff going into this one. Yeah, there's like 12 things going right in this, and you hit some of them because this is how you book somebody without having the fans turn on them. Like, how do you make them successful? but not, like, resented. And so, not that they're going to beat Ted DiBiase. Can they go 10 minutes with Ted DiBiase within a feud where you already care about Dusty and hate DiBiase? So you're doing a lot to push Dustin Rhodes and to protect Dustin Rhodes at the same time. Oh, absolutely so. And Dustin Rhodes, you know, already uh, in real time with, I think, a year or two of wrestling under his belt, uh, treated very much as a rookie here, which is fair enough. I think that's perfect for the story. But uh, it's wild to think how close he is to wrestling Steve Austin for that TV title. And then it's perhaps even wilder to think, hey, this guy's on Dynamite every week today, and he's still doing good stuff. So, like, what an incredible career for Dustin Rhodes. It's also wild to think he's going to have that whole WCW career, and he's only, like, five years or so away from Goldust. Yeah, I know. (laughs) The the time and the eras that this guy covers is incredible. How many guys can say – they wrestle on these shows, you know, with Hulk Hogan here at his peak in Hulkamania, and they're still going today. Like, it's ridiculous. It's weird because as a child, everybody always says, like, you know, time goes slower as a child. The older you get, the faster time goes. And, like, I've experienced that. But even now, looking back, I don't feel like five years from Dustin Rhodes being a rookie in WWF to having his entire WCW career to then becoming Goldust, say, in 95. Like, that's, that five years is about ten times longer than five years now, I think, in some <laughs> some weird objective way. Yeah, how can they have fit so much great stuff into that period? So, yeah. you know, it's, it's incredible to think about. It is, and so dust, so much praise. It's hard sometimes to praise Dustin when Dusty's around, but, man, you realize, I think all three of them. I think Cody's going to do it, too, and is doing it. Like, these are three people who on their own are going to be great. Like, capital G, capital R, E, A, T, all the way through great. It's a, it, you shouldn't, it should not happen. Like, you look at greats, look at Ric Flair, look at uh, Bill Watts, look at others. You know, like, there's no guarantee that you're ever going to produce or bring along one great member of the family just because you're great. Yeah, no, I don't know if I can think of a family that has three family members this good maybe if i go back into the guerreros uh, i I don't Mm. know some of the the uncles as well but um yeah uh, these the dusty the Rhodes family has certainly got to be in the very top tier of talented wrestling families absolutely and then i'm sorry but i i took a risk with sapphire at the beginning because i knew like what the what the what the narrative is but i just went off what i was enjoying and so beginning to end at SummerSlam, I was like, she was good all the way through. Like put the put the period at the end of the sense I was right. Get her out of here so I can stay right. Um, and she is down here with a Teddy Yasi wrestling buddy, and that to me is like so awesome. That like not only do you betray this man and you get all this stuff, and good for you, and he even says good for you because like if you can get it, get it. But now you're down here with a Teddy Yasi wrestling. Like it's. The way that they are putting the pins in Dusty Rhodes is just fabulous, fabulous booking right here. <laughs> it is. I noted that as well. It was a great touch. She doesn't even do anything in this match, but just that moment 
Like that justified yeah. it to me. Like that was more good stuff right there. Yeah, it's so awesome. And again, it reinforces why Dustin Rhodes is here. He's the last choice. Family is often the last choice for Dusty Rhodes, but he is at the last choice. And, you know, Dustin, like you think, well, Dustin's stepping up for his father, but like how close are they? Maybe Dustin's stepping up for himself because, you know, he this is a door in and he's going to use the guy who's using him. So in a way, the family's coming together, but in a way, maybe they're really not. So I think it's very – and maybe WWF does that well because – one of Bret Hart's best feuds is going to be with Owen. So, yeah. you know, that some of these family feuds, they're doing really, really well, I think, or family relations. Man, that makes me really wonder about a Dustin versus Dusty feud that could have mm-hmm. happened at some point. So, I don't know. That's an interesting idea. Um, I felt like in this they played it maybe kind of a little more straight, or it seemed to me like it just seemed like Dusty and Dustin. Oh, yeah, they're like, they're very close. So. Oh, yeah. Yeah, like they're not necessarily keying into that exactly, but it's an interesting idea. I would have actually been interested to see that. Yeah, they're definitely not keying into it, but to me, just knowing it now, it's always sure. there, yeah. you know. But I wish we got them longer. Like, if they treated, that's another thing that hit me is that they're both doing well, and we know Dustin's going to thrive in WWF. Well, then another feather in the cap of the argument of making Dusty Rose a world champion and a world title contender instead of Warrior, put him up there with Hogan, like Billy build up that relationship is that if you built Dusty bigger, you build Dustin bigger. And then when Dusty goes away, you've got another superstar that is naturally born through your company. Mm, yeah, no, that that would have been smart. WWF is not going to capitalize on that for sure, but uh, could have happened. Could have been very interesting. Um I'll say with Dustin, it always makes me a little sad because I always feel like he was kind of chasing his dad, you know, mm-hmm. like like he wanted to be closer to him. He wanted to be more, um, you know, in the same business that Dusty didn't even want him to be in, but he wanted to be in it anyway. And uh, I always feel like he's kind of chasing uh, the love of his dad. And maybe I'm reading in too much, but uh, it does make me a little sad to think about. Uh, certainly Dustin uh, had some personal problems along the way. I was just reading um, some tweet he put out about how in the kind of mid-2000s, um, he was almost 300 pounds. He was in bad shape. He was depressed. I think uh, had some problems with alcohol or some other substances. And um, just how now now he's in great shape and he's doing great, and that is great. But I think you do have to look at kind of uh, the personal issues that he developed. and You have to maybe look at the family a bit there and uh, – there's a lot going on, but I'm just glad he came out as well as he did. Yeah, I think, too, nine times out of ten, it's more difficult for the oldest son, especially when there's a big age gap. Like, almost every parent I've ever met will tell you kind of, you know, they were a certain way with the first one, and they learned a lot of things. And you really get the feeling, at least, that there's, like, this super strict straight line gotta be this gotta do this gotta look like this whether it comes from dusty or dustin or the pressure or whatever there's something really heavy that hangs on dustin Rhodes to me that then when by the time cody comes around like he created there's a world cody's part of making it because he left wwf when a lot of people don't but it's also that the world with the internet with a lot of other opinions changing that you can open up bigger. You can open up in different ways. You can go different ways. You can share your story differently. And so there's just, a, to me, always been like a tightness or a strictness around early Dustin Rhodes that I think he also, he kind of thrived in it and he also exploded in it. And then Cody comes from afar and I think it's just, 
you know, I think Cody benefits from Dustin going first. I think what you're talking about is almost exactly what they based their match on Cody and Dustin, mm. you know, back uh, in uh, 2019, um, where uh, Dusty kind of was a father to Cody and not really so much yeah. to Dustin. And Cody had all these benefits of uh, the way he was raised and kind of the way he was trained and his relationship with his dad and Dustin, you know, he really had to do a lot more for himself. Uh, you know, he had his mom, of course, but yeah, really without having that father figure, raising himself, um, you know, getting some help from Dusty and wrestling, but a lot of times being very distant from him as well. So, yeah, I mean, there's a strong family dynamic that fits really well with what you're talking about. And um, it just makes it all the more impressive to me because, man, how easy would it have been for a guy like Dustin to flame out? You talked about a lot of other second generation mm-hmm. stars that just not only did badly in wrestling, but really just had very difficult lives in general and uh, maybe never even really pulled it together for a long time. But, yeah, you've got Dustin, you look at everything he's done, and just it's incredibly impressive. Like, the man is an absolute legend, for sure. Yeah, I honestly, I think it's more likely that he could flame out than that he would end up in AEW being a coach and a leader and a mentor and a wrestler. Right, like, yeah. He defied the odds to do what he did. Absolutely, and it's impressive as hell. Like, just an absolute legend, really. The longevity, the talent, the variety of things that he has done in his career, just he's an absolutely legendary talent. I can't say enough good things about him. Yeah. And it's, it's almost like Cody Rose was the grandson that, you know, Dusty had, <laughs> you know, because if you ever watch, like, I grew up around a lot of like hard nosed, strict, somewhat absent, like kind of fathers and men. And like the, seeing the way they are with their children versus like 20 years later. So how they are with their grandchildren mm. is a completely different human being almost. And it almost feels like, Cody was like the grandson, you know, that he got to love and take care of. And Dusty was Dustin was the son that he got to kind of raise up by hand or something. (laughs) Or not raise up by hand, actually. For sure. Very different relationship there. Dusty is in Dustin's ear before the match, like a boxing coach. And I just had to point out that one year later, he'll be doing the same thing in the ear of Ron Simmons uh, for the Halloween Havoc 1991 main event. Good point. Yeah, I forgot that Dusty was involved in that. Yeah. Uh, this is so good. All right, so again, you got 10 minutes and you got a lot of psychology. And so what do you think Dusty is going to do? He's going to try to distract um, Teddy Biasi because every time he does, they it costs him time. But also he's so mad at him, so you don't even know if he's doing it for a technical reason. And you would think Ted DiBiase wouldn't let it happen, but Ted DiBiase never takes care of Ted DiBiase. He's a hothead and he does stupid things. So, but also he's arrogant and thinks, you know, all, all I need is enough time to put on the million dollar dream in the last 30, uh, 30 seconds. Mm-hmm. So all of that is sitting in a pot together as we watch this. It's really good stuff. And I really appreciate this match. This is a, this is a rock solid match. It really does what it needs to do. It's very interesting. And I like that it's not even in the conversation that Dustin Rhodes could beat Ted DiBiase. Mm -hmm. Like you can really feel that hierarchy. Like Dustin is, uh, he's a rookie, you know, in the eyes here, he may have some natural talent, but uh, it's not even a possibility that he's going to beat Ted DiBiase. But can he last that 10 minutes? Ted DiBiase thinks, of course not. He's very arrogant. He's very cocky about it. Dusty's like making plans, making strategies. Um, So uh, there's just a lot of, interesting unique stuff that goes into this match that you would not see in a normal match and it really benefits from it 
Yeah. The, the, I don't know if it's when Dustin in the beginning is trying to lock up with him and DiBiase avoids it over and over, but mm. Dustin Rose turns his back on him and just complains to his father, like, this isn't fair. He's not letting me do this thing. And then he, and he gets attacked. <laughs> and you realize no matter how big he is, no matter how talented he might be, like, he doesn't know how to be in the ring with Ted DiBiase. So, like, they're doing him such justice by making it where, like, no way could he beat Ted DiBiase. Right, and that that's perfect for the storyline. You know, it would have been very easy to be like, oh, Dustin's a babyface, so he's just, you know, he'll just win, you know, or he, he'll, he'll come close to winning. And he doesn't ever really come close to winning the match. Uh, it's just, it's not part of that story. And it's better for it, because that's not the story you would normally tell. So it makes it stand out more, makes it much more interesting, much more compelling. Another thing that hit me, too, is that this is what we watched. I think Madison Square Garden, was it? With the DiBiase and yeah, Dusty yeah. Rhodes. Uh-huh. So that was them, and then SummerSlam, and then Saturday Night's Main Event. And this, like, this feud and this chemistry between Ted DiBiase and the Rhodes family is like a highlight of high. It's not just a highlight in 1990. It's a highlight in this series. Oh, absolutely. I think uh, somebody, our prof BK, somebody at the forum said, hey, if I need to, I'm just going to mentally rearrange so that that match comes at the end of this feud instead mm-hmm. of, you know, right at the beginning of his run. And you may need to do that. I don't know what kind of payoff you're going to get. But, uh, yeah, that match was beautiful. That was one of the highlights that we watched in this whole thing. Now they've come back around. And, yeah, that chemistry, it's really intense. It's really good stuff. That's so smart. Yeah, absolutely do that because that match belongs out here with this with this uh, feud. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, so, yeah, you got Dustin in the ring, and, man, he really does look good. At 21 years old and not that much experience, he really is uh, quite a natural. Uh, I also have to really praise Dusty Rhodes for his managing here. He is uh, going to that Bobby Heenan school where he is living and dying with, like, everything that happens to his guy in the ring. Like, it looks like it's physically affecting him whenever something happens in the ring, and that that's that's the best managing you can do, I think. Yeah, Dusty is in it the whole time, just like Dustin. And like I said, I kind of thought Ted DiBiase was being self-destructive and arrogant, but you find out he waits till he hears like one minute left in the match and he just puts the million dollar dream on. So that's why he has let this happen, because he can beat him at any time. Mm-hmm. And I love the fact that we're going to end it on that kind of common thread of like the arms going to drop, the arms are going to drop. Is it going to drop the third time? And instead of just letting the bell ring and we don't find out, like his arm does not drop. Like he holds on. But the minute the bell rings, his arm drops and he's out. Mm, yeah, yeah. No, there's a that's, – that's a great bit in here for sure. Um, and I got to say, th- th- this is the one match where I thought Roddy Piper actually did a good job. And it makes me think, if Roddy Piper is, like, genuinely invested in cheering someone on in the match, that's probably the best thing that he can do because he'll do it later for Virgil and he'll do some very good commentary. And uh, that uh, – that's actually kind of connected to this same feud that's going to kind of progress maybe along the very same line. So that's interesting to think about as well. Yes, I thought they both did a good job. They really dug in on the psychology and the emotion of this thing, which is exactly what needs to be done. So this is one where they just know what they're doing still, even if the rest of everything around them, they, they don't seem to know what they're doing. Every time they get into this, it's like, oh, here's how you book a feud and sustain a feud. And here's how you do it well. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I don't know what happened. I don't know if Dusty kind of was putting input into the feud himself here. Wouldn't surprise me. I don't know. Maybe it just uh, worked out that way. But whatever it is, it, it this really works 
in a way that a lot of stuff around it does not. Absolutely. Um, so yes, Dusty Dustin does survive the 10 minutes, which enrages Ted DiBiase. Uh, afterwards, Ted knocks Dusty out of the ring and tries to go after Dustin Rhodes, but Dusty returns with a chair and runs him off. So we have not seen the last of this, but that was a very good segment, very good match that I'm very glad we were able to cover here. I agree, man. This is it's all the way through. I'm looking at the matches beyond. Like this is this is a lot of um, top shelf stuff. I try to. Live, I know these say. I know these shows are not going to always be great. <laughs> these Saturday Night's main events in this era. So I think it's really important to pick out kind of the best stuff that for some reason was not in the spotlight uh, on some of these shows. So I'm really glad that we can cover some of this stuff in uh, in our bonus material. Absolutely. So we got. Um... I like I like because we got Shawn Michaels was injured at SummerSlam. That's why they did what they did. So he is out for a while, you know. And them probably not even yet knowing what they're going to do in 1991. I feel like we're opening up that injury is opening up a weird space where the Rockers are more than just like a tag team. <laughs> uh, the next match is Rick Martel versus Marty Jannetty in a singles match. It's on uh, prime time from November 18. You have uh, Hayes and Mooney on commentary. And, yeah, Mooney tells us something that we never heard before. He tells us, oh, Marty Jannetty and Shawn Michaels are very skilled singles competitors. Mm-hmm. So we have gone from, uh, oh, well, they're just tag team specialists to, oh, well, they're really good singles guys. So, yeah, there's definitely a hint there that uh, maybe we'll see more of these guys working individually. That is pretty much word for word the first note that I have here, that <laughs> quote and that comment. Yep, it's so contrary to what we've talked about before, where they were such tag team guys yeah, that uh, they they didn't know their names individually at times. Now now it's starting to be different. Yeah, you know who's all, <coughs> who's also a rock star, and this is Lord Alfred Hayes. <laughs> is your next hit, uh, note him trashing Marty Jannetty's sense of fashion viciously here? Yes, <laughs> I love that. Oh man. I love Alfred Hayes on commentary. I understand they wanted, like, a big name after Ventura left, so they took Piper. But, man, if they had done Vince McMahon and Alfred Hayes, I think I would be ten times happier with these shows. Yes, I was watching Lord Alfred Hayes' matches this week. I watched Lord Alfred Hayes versus Bobby Heenan. Nice. That's great stuff. Uh, Here he says of the model, the model is the toast of London, Paris, and New York. And Sean Mooney says, I suppose the model told you that. He's like, well, yeah, he told me, of course. <laughs> I like it, though, as well, because Mooney's like, oh, well, didn't you check any other sources? And yeah. Alfred Hayes is like, uh, yes, I did, and I saw him in Vogue and, like, all this other stuff, and Mooney has no response to this. So, you yes. know what? There you go. You didn't, you weren't prepared for that, were you? Mooney's playing his best missing man at times and trying to steamroll at Lord Alfred Hayes. And Lord Alfred Hayes knows how to sidestep. <laughs> oh, Alfred Hayes is unsteamrollable. He'll just laugh <laughs> it off if you try. So, oh, that's beautiful. I love that. Here's how I ended up down the rabbit hole with Lord Alfred Hayes because he said that uh, I'm not sure even what he's referencing, but it's a move I used to do when I wrestled. And I was like, <laughs> I don't know if I ever knew you wrestled or I forgot, but my gosh, I, I'm putting that into the uh, YouTube um, search here. <laughs> You would not ever think it to look at him or, like, to listen to him usually. But, yeah, no, he had some very good stuff in AWA and other places. And, uh, yeah, I got nothing but praise, really, for Lord Alfred Hayes. He started with me in this series as he's better than what I thought or he's good for the role that he's in. And he has reached a level of 
I think that there is at least a possibility that if he had been treated like Gene Erkeland and Bobby Heenan and Jesse Ventura and all of them, he would have found his place on that level. Yeah, I mean, I think he's good enough for that, and uh, they just never quite had those kinds of things for him to do. You know, he was more of like a, a bit player, kind of down, you know, doing a comedy bit or doing commentary on like a really obscure show like this one or something. But man, like, it's great stuff, I think. Lord Alfred Hayes never, never really fails to entertain me. Yeah, and he's so smart. What you get about these guys is how smart they are. Like Gene Erkeland, uh Bobby Heenan, like, you don't know how to do what you do in every single moment like that unless you're super smart. And Lord Alfred Hayes has that same sharpness and wit and ability. That's what makes me think that he could have possibly transcended onto that next level. Mm. I have I have a few regrets about the early parts of WWF The Legacy Series in terms of the uh, lack of bonus material we had at that time. And, you know, mm-hmm. we, we, we were just kind of doing – we were feeling it out. So it is what it is. But, man, going back – I would definitely try to throw in a little bit more uh, Tuesday Night Titans because that was yeah. a lot of Vince and uh, Alfred Hayes. And, man, they, <laughs> they got into some very fun stuff together. I love it. Uh, Sean Booney, I think, a New Year's resolution says, I'm going to try to get along with you even when you say something that's so outrageous that I have to clench my teeth. <laughs> and I think I Alfred Hayes says, like, oh, off. I should say more things then. So. Yeah. Come on, Lord. everybody usually treats Lord Alfred Hayes like he's a baby face who just says weird things, but Sean Mooney goes goes after him in this one. <laughs> I have heard, um, perhaps uh, apocryphally, but I have heard that he, Hayes uh, specifically did work heel at times. I was actually feeling that a little bit in this match, yeah. um, although it's hard to tell with him because, yes, he could just be a baby face who says the things he's not supposed to, but maybe that makes him a heel as well. So <laughs> Yeah, they really just treat him like he's that guilty, way for though. sure. <laughs> I love it though. I think I watched more of the, uh, the announce booth than the match. Even though it's not a bad match, but man, the, the announce booth was on fire. <laughs> yeah, no, I I really enjoyed this match. I think it's worth looking at. But uh, yeah, Alfred Hayes and Sean Mooney on commentary is a big highlight of this for sure. Yeah. It's great stuff. I'd say it was a good match, but it maybe needed to pop a little bit more at times for me. Perhaps so. Yeah, I think this is just a lead into a Survivor Series, really. So clearly, I think maybe holding something back for that. But yeah, it's an enjoyable match. Uh, Rick Martel flips off the apron into the ring, and he hooks up Marty Jannetty for a, a, a win pretty cleanly, actually. I, I didn't yeah. notice him actually cheating, so uh, good for him. And uh, yeah, Rick Martel continues to impress. But uh, Hayes and Mooney, yeah, they kind of stole the show here. Yeah, it's, it's beautiful. Listen to that commentary. <laughs> Then we're, we're just going to enter into a strange world after this, so <laughs> buckle up. <laughs> I will say, though, as far as um, big feuds go, big inciting incidents, feuds that uh, that kind of have something behind them, here's a great example. This is one of my favorite things from this whole era, mm. bar none. Uh, there's a whole – some beautiful person put together a whole bunch of clips together on YouTube to kind of uh, put this into uh, perspective. So thank you, whoever you are out there beautiful YouTube people who contribute good things to the universe. Um, this, is, this is a video that really kind of covers some of the big boss man, Bobby Heenan feud. And uh, the first part of this, the whole part of this, is clips of Bobby Heenan during show introductions, during random matches, during random moments. He will slam the big boss man's mother with the most creative, hilarious barrage of insults that you've maybe ever heard in wrestling history. <laughs> This compilation, folks, 
Oh my god. Um, not only is it amazing, but there's no suspense because you don't need it. Gorilla Monsoon spoils the whole thing because nobody knows Bobby Heenan like Gorilla Monsoon, and he captures the entirety of Bobby Heenan's trajectory, his career, his habits by saying, keep digging that hole and you'll be at the bottom of it. <laughs> and that's all you need to know right there. <laughs> Uh, and um, for our Babyface Brigade, I will say this this video does a great job of capturing not only how many times Bobby Heenan uh, made this mistake, but also how many times he was warned yes. very specifically to stop doing this thing. Like he is told by Gorilla Monsoon and by other announcers, by the big boss man, he is told, stop saying these things. He gets chance after chance after chance. And man, he just throws those chances away. Like they were nothing. So, so there, there's a little in favor of the baby faces actually showing a lot of patience, arguably here in the yeah. face of Bobby Heenan. This is even a sweet moment when Bossman goes up to the booth and says, don't be making fun of my mama. She's my pride and joy. Yeah, you know? yeah. Big boss, man, defending his mother. And, man, I don't know how you get this idea for a feud. I don't know who came up with this, but they should be given a medal. And if it's the same person I said should be fired before, then I don't know what to do. But um, <laughs> <laughs> it's possible. It is but, possible. Um, But, man, like, just it's a beautiful idea. You have Bobby Heenan, who is just so witty, so funny. He's like, wow, what if he just made fun of uh, Big Boss Man's mom for no reason for, like, yeah. weeks and months, and eventually it's going to turn into this? That's great. Like, think of the lame uh feuds that we will get at times the the lack of legwork this feud has so much legwork it's going back like months and months of this conflict before we even get to a physical confrontation oh this is so good and i think bobby heenan if you give bobby heenan an inch he'll take a mile but if you take an inch he'll retreat a mile (laughs) (laughs) that's a great line it's a beautiful beautiful way to say that uh, so this goes on and on, and then we get to one of my favorite segments in probably any era of wrestling, to be honest, because it does one of my favorite things. It disrupts the norms. It intersects with other things. It, it, it comes out so much that everyone has to take notice of it, and it disrupts the whole show. So on a random episode of Wrestling Challenge, um, Bobby Heen is doing commentary. He's doing Vince McMahon, sitting in for uh, Gorilla Monsoon, as he would do occasionally. And Big Moss, man, he comes out for his squash match, but instead of going to the ring, he goes up to the commentary table, he goes to confront Bobby Heenan, and Bobby Heenan, as you said, he sees that inch being taken, and he retreats a mile, because immediately, immediately, he is begging off, he is apologizing, but guess what? When you get caught, that is not the time when you get to apologize and make it all go away. He had so many chances to do it. Big Boss Man slaps a handcuff on him. He drags him off a commentary. He physically throws him out of the booth. He drags him down to ringside, and he handcuffs him to the guardrail. Oh, my God. This this is so great. I love this. And this is going to go on for the entire rest of the episode of Wrestling Challenge, and people are going to be in the ring wrestling, and they're going to be trying to have the show around a handcuff, a trapped, a panicking Bobby Heenan at ringside. It's beautiful. I love this segment so much. This is a must, must, must watch, in my opinion. This is also the kind of stuff that I love because of the continuity, the the ongoing nature of it. 
And you made that fair comment that here's a place where babyface uh, fans can be rewarded. And I agree with that. But here's also a place where heels can be rewarded because how beautiful is it? Mm. The guys like Slick and Power and Glory, who have no investment in Bobby Heenan, not only stop off to see what his problem is, what he's going through, if they can help him. Power and Glory almost get counted out for standing out there trying to help someone who has nothing to do with their success. Oh, absolutely. I love the way Bobby Heenan interacts with the heels that do come down to ringside, and I love the way that they respond. They're not just like, oh, well, you know, we're heels, so we, we won't help anybody. No, they they are in this brotherhood of heels together, and, yeah, they really want to help Bobby Heenan, and they, just, they can't actually do anything to help him. So in the end, they have to leave, but uh, Heenan begs Slick to get Rick Rude, and, you know, that that's great. That makes a whole lot of sense yeah. as well. So uh, there's just so much great stuff going on in this segment i absolutely love it i love it real quick i also want to say power and glory now are two for two with they should have done more than they did because right now they're, they're doing well so far oh yeah power and glory very underrated team uh, in my opinion i think that will continue to bear out as we watch along the weirdest thing about this is that the vince mcmahon announcer starts uh, anytime he's moving and not behind the booth in this era it freaks me out um, <laughs> When he when he's kind of confronted by Big Boss Man as well, that gave you a pause right there. Or uh, yeah, well, well that and he comes down to ringside at the end to talk that's to him. He does, he does. Yeah, it's uh, it's very unusual that we would see that in this era. Um, Rick Rude runs down as well, and I'll say for Rick Rude, you know, I've been up and down on him. I think he's great here because he's so pissed and he's a little bit embarrassed. I think, and uh, he's so angry, and I think he swears. At one point, yeah. <laughs> so he said, words that it, it takes them time in the attitude era to build to Rick Rude's dropping them in 90. Yeah. Yeah. In 1990, he's throwing that stuff out there. So uh, it's a great showing by Rude, by Heenan. Uh, this is great for weeks after on primetime and other they will they will show Heenan's wrist, which has marks on it. Yes. And uh, <laughs> Heenan will start walking that fine line of being a very, very uh, apologetic to the big boss man when he thinks he's in any danger and then acting very differently when he thinks the big boss man uh, is in no position to do anything about it. So we will see that reflected in the next match. But yeah, I just got to say, I love this Heenan boss man feud. It's beautiful. It was supposed to be boss man versus Rick rude, but Rick rude, I believe will leave the company Mm -hmm. before it can materialize. Uh, We'll move on to perfect versus boss man, which in my opinion is actually better. Um, so your mileage may vary, but, uh, no, some very good stuff there. Yeah. Uh, I think Bobby Heenan bruises easily physically and beyond. <laughs> so I don't know. I think rude also, you have to be a little embarrassed because you can't, like, he's a strong man who can't break that hugging could have come out with his pinky and broken the, uh, <laughs> <laughs> so that's tough, but man, this is just, if you love Bobby Heenan, you love story, you love, I don't know. This is just I, I don't see how you don't click. If you if you listen to this show, I don't know how you don't click on that, that compilation. Oh, it's so good. It's incredibly good. I can't recommend it highly enough. It is one of my favorite things. It's one of the most memorable things from what I watched through this era. And it's great because I, I touched on it before, but um, uh, any event 
which like kind of overflows its boundaries and it ends up affecting an entire show and disrupting an entire show. It's so great yes. to me. One of my favorite episodes of any wrestling program. I've talked about it many times is when the NWO disrupted a whole nitro. They had to like rebook the whole card on the fly. They had to show all these segments backstage. This is that on a smaller scale, but it's got the exact same energy and it's great in the exact same way. I agree with that. And I also praise it for the same reason I praise Ted DiBiase is when you're a character like this that despises the fans and they despise you <laughs> and you got to do all this intimate work like right in front of them and make it pay off and seem real. Like to me, that's doubly difficult because even the ring is not that far from the front row. But when you're in the front row or at the front row and you got to act the way Bobby Heenan has to act for the entirety of the show, mm. you've got to be a Bobby Heenan and have that kind of commitment to make it work. Absolutely. He is so on here and it's uh he's, he's right. He's handcuffed about a foot away from the fans, you know, yeah. so he's got to be really, really on there. And uh, he's got to trust that these fans aren't going to do anything uh, yeah. they shouldn't be doing also. So, oh, wow. There's so much that goes into this. It's so great. I love this feud. Big Boss Man, again, making case for being just the MVP of this little space and time of the early 90s, because he is succeeding in ways that most baby faces are not. Yeah, because Ted DiBiase often does well. Bobby Heenan, I think, always does well. Mm-hmm. But what makes them better in these contexts is that Boss Man is coming with such a sincerity, yeah. and they have no sincerity in them whatsoever. So the contrast is so apparent, and... You really can feel the hurt of the big boss man that, you know, you could beat him up and he wouldn't be that hurt. But you you embarrass him and embarrass his mom, embarrass his family. Mm-hmm. And there's just this kind of like awkwardness to it. Like you, you're going to make him behave in a way that he might not even want to behave in. Absolutely. And he's so over too. like he may yeah. be the number three baby face in the company right now yeah. in terms of popularity. It, it's beautiful to see. And I love what you said. He does bring this kind of sincerity to it. Because guess what? I can believe that Big Boss Man was hurt and he was offended yeah. by these comments. Unlike Hulk Hogan, who gets sat on and it doesn't matter because he doesn't even feel it. Unlike Ultimate Warrior, who gets slapped by Sherry and I don't think he even knows that it happened. You know, he's not even in like that universe to feel that slap. These things don't matter. Guess what? What's happening to Big Boss Man? That matters. That matters a lot. Yeah, it's a shame he's not around longer, but to me... He really is a forerunner for The Undertaker in mm. gimmicks that only WWF can do, that when you do them right, you create not just a wrestler, but you create a universe with a wrestler. Oh, absolutely. I don't know why he leaves, to be honest, but yeah, I mean, he's so great in this period. He really is one of the big highlights, and you're right, he's really only going to be around for a few years here, because by 92, 93 at the latest, I think he'll be uh, he'll be yeah. gone. Uh, and funny enough, eventually he will catch up with Rick Rude in WCW. So uh, there's a funny little connection for you there. Absolutely. Man, this is this is gold. And again, I think it's, this is a um, feel-good moment for us in that it kind of exploits that no matter what year we're in before the series is over, the good years and the bad years, you're always going to have to be able to find something worth watching in it. Yep, unless Russo is in full control, which he will never be in the WWF, thankfully. (laughs) In any other era, you can find some (laughs) good stuff, I think. So, oh, man, this is great. I I feel kind of bad for Rick Rude because I think this could have been one of his best feuds because we know he has good chemistry with the boss man. I think boss man would have pushed him to do more physically 
than usually he liked to do. Um, but he will end up leaving, and uh, I, I sympathize with his reason, as far as I have read it, is that Vince McMahon was advertising him for shows he wasn't on, and then not paying him for it. So, using his name to draw, and giving him no benefit. Hey, you know, honestly, you probably should not put up with that, but uh, wrestlers have little recourse, so he will be heading to WCW before too long. Bossman would have sped him up, too, which he always yeah, needs. absolutely. It's a weird thing to look at those two and be like, one of them's going to speed up the other. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you wouldn't think on their uh, their build and their physique, but, man, yeah, the speed of Big Boss Man is amazing. Like, he's in good shape here, relatively. Like, he, he's uh, relatively slim, I think. But, yeah, just for yeah. his size and his build, you wouldn't think he'd be like he is, but, man... We'll talk about it in this next match, too, but he is just, he's awesome in the ring. Like, I love watching him. Yeah. He comes in in WCW. I wonder if he has a program with Sting, which Sting's kind of mid-card after Hogan, but there's something about Bossman and Sting that, the way they move. Yeah. Uh, I think that's why Bossman and Sting are both good with Vader. There's a family of people who kind of, I don't know what it is, but there's an energy in the way that they move and they, they kind of complement each other. And I think Bossman's in that little group. So he probably could do a leapfrog if he wanted to. I'd be surprised if he doesn't at some point, you know, to be honest. Yeah. So, yeah, no, I, I agree with that. Uh, Bossman and Sting are not two guys I'd put together a lot, but in terms of just like quickness, energy, just kind of like, yeah, something in the way they move. I can definitely see that. That's a nice shout out. Yeah, I can see. They both do that corner. Like Sting does a stinger splash. Bossman does a corner splash. I can see Sting doing the stinger splash and Bossman doing that little short right to the gut when he comes down. <laughs> I can see that for sure. Definitely. Okay, so we got Bossman and Earthquake to close this out. We do. We do. Also from this November 18 episode of Primetime. And uh, I don't know how you felt about this, but, man, if Earthquake had looked like this the whole time, I probably would have thought a little bit better of him because uh, clearly Bossman is driving the match. But Earthquake, he really does some impressive stuff in here, I would say. Yeah, and it starts at the beginning where Bossman just lets Earthquake kind of just throw him around the ring like he's Mr. Perfect. Yeah, absolutely. I, he, he tosses him around, and Bossman uh, really helps make look make it look as good as possible. So I, I got a lot of praise for that. I like a good Haas battle, and this actually is a good one. Um so, yeah, there's just great stuff here. And then you got Bossman who can just throw those punches. And, man, I can't praise those punches enough either. Just some beautiful stuff there. Yeah, and Bossman, like X-Pac, they both do that uh, cranking headlock where they stomp the mat while they they got you in the headlock. And he, mm. he does that Earthquake. So, nice I forgot Earthquake. Used, earthquake flexes that muscle that has no, that arm that has no muscle in it. I, I forgot that was one of his things. <laughs> Hey, it must have something in it, because there's an unbelievable moment in this match where Big Boss Man tries a top rope crossbody, and Earthquake just catches him out of the air, doesn't budge an inch. That that's unbelievable. Big Boss Man is enormous, so Earthquake clearly has some muscle buried in there somewhere, because that was really amazing. That's a great point. And I, Earthquake's best move might be that slam because the way he holds you sideways, but then he does that turning jump off of it. Yeah, way better. Than so he doesn't have a lot of distinction in some of his stuff, but like there's one or two things where he, he does it very distinct, and that's what, I want to see more of that from Earthquake. For sure, yeah. If they could have found a way to tap into more of that, then I think uh, he would have been a lot better off in the WWF. So, 
Um, this is also uh, Heenan and Monsoon on commentary, which we have not had a chance to hear very much of. Uh, I think they do an amazing job here. Uh, Heenan is very pissed at the boss man, but he resists all suggestions that he should like go apologize or do anything. He says, oh, I already said I was sorry. I'm a nice guy, he insists. So, some very good stuff. Yes. Bobby Heenan says, we're going to take the boss man apart piece by piece. And Gorilla Monsoon says, personally? And he says, well, not me. I've apologized. (laughs) Yes. I forgot that line. Oh, this is this perfect double speak that Bobby Heenan does. And this is what separates yeah. him from a guy like Ventura, who was very sincere in his comments. Mm-hmm. Now we have really the opposite, where Bobby Heenan can say in the same breath, oh, we're going to destroy you, but also I'll be innocent the whole time while we destroy you. So he'll, he'll say that, yes. and he'll be sincere, but in a way that is not really sincere. Yeah, and then he will end up going down to ringside. And this is another great thing, is he absolutely won't go to ringside. And then the Earthquake does one move that really puts the boss man down, and Bobby Heenan shoots out of the booth down to ringside. <laughs> Suddenly he's very happy to go down, unlike previously, where uh, this is great, because Monsoon keeps goading him the whole time that he should go down there, because he keeps talking big. And he says, well, if I go down there, then you'll you'll be up here stabbing me in the back. And Gorilla Monsoon says, well, I'll do that even if you're sitting here. So Yes. <laughs> The beautiful and like he said, he eggs him on the entire time, and then Bobby Heen goes down there and stays down there, and towards the end of the match, he's like, he forgot completely about the broadcast we're doing. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Monsoon, uh, Heenan can't win with Monsoon, for sure, um, but I guess it's justified after that uh, segment on primetime yeah. where Monsoon got hurt, so that's the th- their relationship feels so earned together like for for the years that they put in for the personalities that they have like nobody nobody's acting out of character nobody's acting out of pocket more than they should be so it's such a great relationship i love it i agree another great small moment is bobby heen comes down but jimmy hart manages earthquake so they have to acknowledge each other he kind of has to you know let him know hey you know i'm in this i'm in this uh program here i'm standing off to the side i'm not stealing earthquake you know i'm acknowledging you you know, I love the way everyone has to acknowledge the existence of each other, and you can tell that they have to live in a world together. Absolutely. Managers, we talk to managers. That's great stuff. You know, we just saw Heenan talking to uh, Slick. Now we see him talking yep. to Jimmy Hart. So, yes, this uh, this conglomeration of heel managers, like, they, they have their alliances, their partnerships. Great stuff. Heenan gets Jimmy's megaphone at one point, and that got a <laughs> pop for me because, like, you know, that shouldn't happen. That's like in a video game where everyone has their own weapon, but then, like, one time yes. you can use someone else's weapon, and that's like, whoa, like, that can happen. Who knew that? Yeah, shout out to Jimmy Hart for allowing it because the egos of these men at this time, they, <laughs> as a, they probably had to cut up a check for, like, $50,000 just to let that happen. <laughs> it's possible, for sure. Um, but, yeah, he, didn't, uh, he starts getting very physical in this. Like, he will slap the big boss man. Yeah. When he gets a chance, he'll interfere as much as he can. Uh, it only goes so far because Boss Man comes back. He hits a sweet Enziguri here. And I'm going to call mm-hmm. that a shout-out to uh, Bad News Brown and that feud nice. which never materialized. But, no, there's some great stuff in here. Yeah, he, he'll he end up chasing Bobby in a way. And the only part that's not believable is that he doesn't catch him, like, three three steps down the ramp because Boss Man is a sprinter as well as everything else. <laughs> That's one reason I think it is on the main event that I don't want to watch, because we will see at some point another chase segment that actually continues 
through the back, and it is well worth taking the time to oh, check nice. it out. So we, we will see more of that action as we go along. Uh, I believe it is the count-out loss, but uh, I got to say, as far as uh, Haas matches go, and certainly as Earthquake matches go, this is actually pretty great. I would recommend this strongly. Yeah. Um, all the bonus stuff. Uh, watch it. You know, again, we're not going to have Bossman around that long, and even part of it, he'll probably start to cool off a bit. I don't know. Maybe not. I don't know. We'll did, we ever get, did we get Bossman and Yoko at any time? Oh, God, I hope so. No, I think he's... They, they, Bossman's leaving just as Yoko's really becoming a thing, so I don't think we get it. But God, I wish we did. That would be something special. Yeah, that would work. So, you know, but just enjoy this while you have it because this is, again, every time I say that, I'm probably say it again that to me it's a forerunner for The Undertaker. I want you to, because I know when people hear Undertaker, they think legend, one of the greatest of all time, streak, all that now. So I want you to understand the kind of compliment I'm trying to give this big Bossman character. Yeah, man. Legend in my mind, absolutely. It should definitely be talked about as a top guy. So, that's great stuff. Man, I know it happens later. It's not really the same, but imagine Vader and Yokozuna in 1993. Can you think about that for a second? Jesus. Yeah, of course. <laughs> Before they both are kind of written off a little bit, and Vader yeah. maybe completely. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So, we'll see some version of it later, but wow. I keep getting a clip of them wrestling in my YouTube, and like one of them's in the corner, and the other one's like running towards it. So. <laughs> Vader and Yoko. Yeah, Vader and Yoko. Yep, yep. They'll have their match eventually, so we'll see what that looks like when we get there. Um, so ah, it feels like such a long ways away. So. Yeah, we got we got we got some stuff coming. We got uh, the main event. We got Survivor Series. I think we got another main event. We got WrestleMania. So. Little ways to go before, hopefully, I'm hoping we get a payoff with that kind of year long. At least my childhood tells me there's a payoff coming. <laughs> I think I can confirm that from my more recent watching, but uh, we'll find out for ourselves as we go along. Um, officially, the next show is the main event, which has uh, Warrior and DiBiase. It has Slaughter and Volkov, Bossman and Perfect, Tito and Martel. Let's, you know, we got a little extra time here, so let's just decide on the air. Are we going to cover this show, or are we going to kind of shunt it to the side and just do bits and pieces as bonus? <sighs> I'm willing to do either one, but, you know, we really got to, because semester's starting back and it's strong, so we got to make sure that if we're going to do the main event, we got to make the show work, because I don't need another kind of, <laughs> I don't need to feel like this two weeks in a row or three weeks in a row. Uh, you know what? Let's Let's just do, what? Let's do Survivor Series and maybe... Do you think we can just tack on Bossman and Perfect onto that show? Or is that too much, sure. I think? All right, let's plan to do that then. Uh, all right, so next next week we will be doing Survivor Series 1990, and uh, there will also be just bits and pieces of the main events and whatever bits we feel are worth checking out. And that will bring us close to, if not to the end of 1990, so that, that yeah. year will have flown by in some ways and uh, crawled by in others. I want there to be some consequences anyway, because like, this year does not deserve everything to be covered. <laughs> <laughs> well said. Well said. Yeah, looking ahead, uh, it will be Survivor Series. That will be the end of 1990. And then I think actually we'll go right on to uh, the Royal Rumble. So yeah. moving right along. Um, should be an interesting show. Definitely some uh, famous stuff on that show. We've got that Rockers 
Orient Express match that everybody loves a lot. We'll have Boss Man versus Barbarian. The Mountie will be around by that time. Uh, Ted and Virgil against Dustin and Dusty and the Rumble itself. So we got some big stuff coming up there. Yeah, we entered the year where I started watching professional wrestling. Ah, very close, very close. Hearing the Mountie, you know. (laughs) Man, it's so weird. Like, when you start watching, you don't know what wrestling is, and you start watching, there's a Ballsman versus a Mountie. Like, how in the world do you just adjust and transfer into that? I don't even know how it happens. (laughs) (laughs) You know? I love that feud. I'm excited for it. It's good stuff. Yeah. So I'm excited. I've been looking forward to Survivor Series, so I'm hoping to see. I'm hoping that'll do well. It's always fun to see a bunch of characters come together and see kind of how they'll work together and against other teams. Yeah, no kidding, no kidding. So yes, we'll do Survivor Series, Royal Rumble, and then uh, then we will we will be reexamining the uh, the main events, the Saturday Night yeah. main events, and we will decide from there where we will go. So, all right, I think that's all we've got. A little bit of a shorter show, nothing wrong with that. There just wasn't that much to talk about on Saturday night's main event. But uh, I hope everybody enjoyed listening. Anything else you want to say before I do my wrap-up spiel? Nah, this is, there's consequences sometimes. That's it. <laughs> there is. Yes, you, you earned this shorter show, WWF, with your bad, <laughs> bad Saturday night's main event episode. Finger-wagging like Hogan right mm. now. So... <laughs> Uh, all right. Well, thank you for listening to the show. If you ever want to shout us out, I am on Twitter. I am at Spectral Gent. Give me a shout. Give me a follow. Uh, we'll talk about this or whatever. It'll be fun times. Uh, also, check out uh, LOPForums.com and WrestlingHeadlines.com for a lot of great written material. We've got a, rest, a writing competition going on right now. I think uh, about to close the first round in that forum. So if you want to get on that, Hurry up and get on that, or maybe just go in and read some of the great stuff that people have been writing. Some very good stuff there. Uh, also, of course, all the other great programs on LOP Radio. Check them out. A lot of great stuff that you can listen to. A lot of varied material that's going to take you all over the world of wrestling. So that is all we've got for our show. Thank you again so much for listening. We'll be back next week. Until then, Mystic, take us home. Until next time, don't let the legacy be dictated to you. Rewatch. Revisit. Rewrite. I saw an undiscovered creature Climbing on the mountainside You know that no one else believed me How about that? And white stripes and salted tears I knew that these were just its cautionary features Keep telling myself nothing to fear It's just an undiscovered creature Coming up to meet ya He's the one that's scared It's just an undiscovered creature Coming up to meet ya He's the one that's scared the undiscovered creature The undiscovered creature I never saw this one in books or heard a myth of it Looks like it came from underwater I thought I'd seen every life form But there it is An undiscovered creature 
discovered creature Coming up to meet ya He's the one that's scared The undiscovered creature stripes and salted tears I knew that these were just its cautionary features keep telling myself nothing to fear it's just an undiscovered creature coming up to meet ya he's the one that's scared it's just an undiscovered creature coming up to meet ya he's the one that's scared